Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com and the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore, the finest place online and in person for all the best Ohio State apparel, and MinutemanTickets.com, all your ticket needs, a national selection with the local feel. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Your Cleveland.com Ohio State coverage team, Bill Landis, Tim Bielek, Doug Maurice. A game is in the books. Ohio State, 77-31 over Oregon State. We did the post-game podcast on Saturday. Make sure you listen to that. Good listens on that. People were listening. Yep. Good listens. We're back for the weekly Wednesday Buckeye Talk podcasts, and we are going to lather ourselves in your questions. Sometimes we don't get to enough questions, but... We are playing to the crowd this week. We are um, schmoozing you, our loyal listeners, who also read us at cleveland.com slash OSU. Follow us on Twitter, BillLandis25, at Tim Bielek, at Doug Maurice. And why do we have to kiss listener butt even more than usual this week, Bill Landis? We're no longer a five-star prospect. We are no longer a five-star podcast. More fallout from the Urban Meyer-Zach Smith situation. Who knew that Buckeye Talk would be collateral damage now at 4.5 stars? Or the Apple robots have heard your complaints about robots, and even though we our ratings haven't changed much, we've had 349 five stars out of, out of 390 ratings, they decided to dock us half a star because of someone's constant fear of robots. If, it, if that's the thing, then screw it. Now, I don't even want your rating, robots, but... We could be, we, we could just be the DeMario McCall of Ohio State Podcast, a high four-star. The thing that bothers me about it is, like, t- two of our most recent one-star reviews also say in their reviews that they like the podcast and, like, we're gonna, are going to continue listening. But they're they mad. Not this down, they're, I mean, they're mad at you. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 that's real. But, but they're only mad... About any criticism of Urban Meyer, right? Is that it? Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. One was a two star. No. Yeah, two one stars that said they like they like the podcast, but uh, they don't like you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean that's fair, but don't punish Tim and Bill for my transgressions. My dog needs to eat. What can we do to get back to a five? Do you think? I mean, we I, just I, like nothing. I don't know. Let's see. Uh, you can acknowledge quote acknowledge your role in this fiasco. Rather, oh, than, rather than asserting that your questions were clear in the context. Who said that? Who said that? E plus Someone R whose e. name is E plus R equals O. No, 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 no. If your name if your name is a wristband, I, I, I'm not going to answer your question. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think – because here's the thing. It was confusing in that moment, mm-hmm. right? But Urban Meyer had more information than anybody at that moment. It's like Urban Meyer may have forgotten things, <laughs> Like about 2015, we didn't know anything. We didn't. We didn't understand what the situation was. We knew there was a Brett McMurphy report, and Urban Meyer said, "I don't know who's making stuff up." Mm-hmm. So we're trying to get to the bottom of that. And so, so no, I do not accept that. That my role. I know that some people have said that, like somehow, anything I've written has been based on, like, because I was ticked off about it or whatever. I don't. I don't really care. But. In that moment, that I did my best to try to clarify 
and and it did not clarify. But there were openings for urban. Is this what this is what everybody wants? Now we're gonna get. Now we're gonna be a four no. star. No. Let me let me explain my role in the Urban Meyer saga. It's only gonna take for thirty minutes. Twenty minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah. Hey, guess what? Get to questions. Let's get to questions. Ohio State has Rutgers this week. Yeah. Is it three thirty? Three thirty on Big mm-hmm. Ten Network. Who's doing the game? I actually don't know. I don't have my notes on me. Do you have yours? Um, I thought I could be wrong. I'm looking right now. Kevin Kugler, Matt Millen. Oh, love Matt. Matt Millen. Matt Millen. They did the Penn State uh, App State game last week. Yeah, love Matt Millen. And also, it's uh, Hall of Fame week. James Laurinaitis going in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Living in the Hall of Fame. So he'll be. They they put him on the field, right? He'll be yeah. there. Yeah, he'll be there at halftime. It's uh, also uh, I think supposed to rain quite a bit. Yeah. Does James Laurinaitis care about a little rain? No, but I do. My shoes get wet. The little animal. The little animal has more toughness in his pinky toe than you do in your whole body, Landis. I you, won't deny that. You're from Philly, but you're worried about squishy shoes. James Laurinaitis is going to be out there shirtless. Listen, James Laurinaitis has never written stories in the Ohio State press box barefoot <laughs> because his shoes and socks were soaked like I had to do last year at the Illinois game. For real? Yeah, because the only way to get to interviews was to either walk in the torrential downpour across the field or walk through the concourse, and then when you get near the visitor's tunnel, I don't know what it is, if it's poor drainage or what, but there was three feet of water you had to walk through to get there. To yeah. Get to the tunnel. And yeah. I, st- I stood out there to film all of Carmen, Ohio, so you get zero sympathy from me. So. Oh, yeah. You got wet for that. Yeah. I, got I wasn't dr- asking for your sympathy. I got drenched. Well, I'm just telling you, I stood outside for work. You just walked over there. I Tim's, Tim's I walked over the there for work to ask questions and write stories. I know. I still win. No, you don't. My shoes almost got sucked off my feet. After the Oklahoma game in 2016, when it was the delay, and then we parked in that <laughs> we muddy parking in lot. The mud. We were, yeah, and then we had to drive. Uh, no, we stayed in Oklahoma City. But, but they was, was parked like a, us in a cow pasture. Yeah, it poured. And the three of us were covered in mud because we had to push the car out. We had to push the car out. Those shoes died that day. My shoes died that day, too. I love those yeah. shoes. They were really nice. God, the sacrifices we make for yeah. this podcast. Yep. Hey, let's get into the questions. We have a lot of them, and we'll let you dictate the course of the podcast, but we did talk about what we want to open with. We want to get into a little big picture stuff. We'll dip, we'll dip into Joe Burrow. We'll dip into some Alabama-Ohio State quarterback controversy stuff. We're going to dig in on what you really want to know about the Buckeyes, even though we did that for 45 minutes after the game. We have a little more context now. We want to start with the Big Ten East. The Big Ten East! Everybody loved. Everybody loves... A little less right now. So what's our question about that? It was an email sent in from Connor Bailey. Uh, he says, now that all of the five AP top 15 teams from the Big Ten have played, what is your revised impression of the Big Ten? Were any or all of the five teams overrated? So just a refresher, uh, Wisconsin was four, Ohio State was five, Penn State 10, Michigan State 11, and Michigan 14. How did uh, your, the AP polls coming out shortly... You vote in the AP poll. I did do. did how uh, were was your ballot affected by what the Big Ten East did and didn't do? Uh, it was a little bit. Let me pull it up real quick. Um, like Michigan was obviously because Michigan lost, so I dropped Michigan down. I think the number twenty one. I still think they're a top twenty five team. I got it here. Okay, go ahead. Read my ballot. Um, you just want the Big Ten teams? Sure. Ohio State number three, Penn State number nine, Wisconsin number ten. 
Uh, Michigan State number 15 and Michigan down to 21. Yeah, Wisconsin 10. Respect. I had... Uh, You're going to get people in Wisconsin yelling at you. I had Wisconsin 8, but like Auburn and uh, Notre Dame jumped them. And that's why Penn State fell down the spot, too. And I think I put Oklahoma ahead of ahead of Penn State. Yeah, okay. I had them 6-7, and I flipped them because I think App State's good, and Penn State struggled with App State. I, I, I don't find that to be as egregious as some other people because App State's a pretty good program, but I think Oklahoma State played a better... Uh, group of five program in Florida Atlantic and just steamrolled them. So I put Oklahoma ahead of them. So let's start first with Michigan State and Penn State because they both won um, and they both played like solid FBS level schools. You know, not now App State and Utah State aren't power five, but they're not. Yeah, and App State's a little better than Utah State, but Utah State is not. If Utah State played Oregon State, I pick Utah State to win. Like I said, maybe that's a good way to frame. Oh it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because yeah. again, Oregon, yeah, that's a good point. Like Oregon State, Ohio State gets credit for a Power Five win, but Oregon State's awful. Yeah. So are you are you guys making long term judgments about Michigan State or Penn State based off the opening weekend, or do you mostly chalk it up to like opening weekend? Michigan State does this stuff all the time. App State's pretty decent. Whatever. Uh. I'm not really making any judgments on Michigan State. Um, I think it's just something they do every year. It's it's a weird thing they do, but they always seem to mess around with the team in the opener they play, and it's always like a, a MAC team or a, a group of five team. But they usually win, but they just don't look good doing it. Um, Penn State, I think I'm not really – I haven't changed my opinion on Penn State really at all after that game, but I, I do think it's important to talk about – how potentially impactful the loss of Joe Moorhead could be for Ohio, for uh, for Penn State. Yeah. So if anyone, if there's anyone who thought that maybe that's not a big deal, I think maybe you should change your mind on that after watching that first game. Um, but it's something you have to work through. I'm not ready to say that Penn State's season is off kilter now because of that. They won the game, and App State's pretty good. So I, I think that's probably a consensus analysis. I think everybody who was like, oh, I don't know about Michigan State – immediately like followed up that thought with, well, Michigan State's done this before, looked shaky to start the season, then won eleven games. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know that you change anything. Like Trace McSorley kind of got it done when they needed to get it done. Made a really good throw late in that game. Or the tying touchdown. So um so let's move on to Michigan. Because Michigan the Michigan game was not over when we talked on Saturday night. Uh I'm the one who thought Michigan might be undefeated going into Ohio Stadium. I think I was higher on Michigan than anybody, um, probably as high as anybody in the country on Michigan. I thought this was like they have a quarterback. Ed Warner's there. The offensive line's going to be better. We know how good the defense is. I thought everybody was aware of their losing streak uh, against top 25 teams on the road. I thought this was, oh, here they go. Um, and they didn't. Now, they did like sort of hang around in that game a little longer than you might think the way you watched how things went. Their offense did not look super functional, though. It did they, not. They, there seemed to be sort of basic things that if Jim Harbaugh is a great coach and an offensive coach, like, what is up? How are they at this point? So I'm of two minds on this. One is... Come on. Like, are they ever going to get this right? How can you let that happen? The other is, I'm not sure that any Big Ten team, I think one Big Ten team might have gone to South Bend and won on Saturday. Ohio State? Ohio State. 
Wisconsin, like, pulled away from Western Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. And they, Jonathan Taylor broke some runs and stuff, but I thought there was, there was a little, I didn't watch all of the Wisconsin game. I don't know if they were clicking on, were it, they yeah. clicking on all cylinders at every moment in that game? No, I mean, they, they ran it. They had a couple big plays for scores. Um, they ran it kind of the way they always do, I think. Um, Hornerbrook, I thought, looked shaky. Yeah. So. So my point is, like, if Michigan had played Western Kentucky at home, and Wisconsin had played at Notre Dame, I think like the two final scores of those games might have been very similar, and we would have been saying, "Up, oh, Wisconsin can't handle the pressure, can't handle the expectations." Oh, look, Shea Patterson wasn't perfect, but here comes Michigan. I think it's very like in a, on a week when nobody in the Big Ten played anybody any good, mm-hmm. and Michigan played a top ten team on the road. It's very easy to say like Michigan stinks. But, like, come on, context a little bit. So, like, I thought absolutely Michigan's offense should have looked more competent than it did. But I am not giving up on Michigan this season. And I don't – I'm not reading that as, like, Michigan's worse than Penn State, Michigan's worse than Michigan State, Michigan's worse than Wisconsin. Now, Ohio State I thought looked awesome. Mm -hmm. So I was – I kept saying all preseason, I think by the end of the year, the two best quarterbacks in the Big Ten very well may be Dwayne Haskins and Shea Patterson – like, the gulf between Dwayne Haskins and Shea Patterson, regardless of the competition, based off Saturday, is large. Yeah. But I'm not giving up on Michigan, and I think they're, you know, a bunch of the Big Ten would have lost to Notre Dame in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I picked Michigan to be Notre Dame, so the answer to the question from, what's his name? I keep forgetting. Uh, uh, Connor. Connor. The answer to Connor's question is, my opinion has not changed one little bit. No, but you you said, who did you pick to win? I picked I picked Notre Dame to win. You said you picked Michigan to win. Uh, I'm you, sorry. You I picked Notre Dame to win. Yeah, I meant to say I picked Notre Dame. So to answer Connor's question, nothing in my mind changed. Like you said, Michigan State does this every year, it seems like, with with – an opponent, Utah State, looked pretty solid at times. Wisconsin really didn't have to get out of first gear to beat Western Kentucky. I think everybody knew that. Penn State is Penn State's the only place I disagree with you. You said they missed Joe Moorhead. They put up 48 points and had 434 yards of total offense. Yeah, they missed Joe Moorhead. Against App State. I mean, Decent but, defense, like top 60-ish defense. Yeah, and they still put up 434 yards. I mean, that you think effect, Oregon State has a good offense? They put up 400 yards in Ohio State. Well, that's a different story. It's about how they call things, not what it looks like in the end. All right. Just my opinion. All right. Well, I mean, we'll figure that out for real when they play a much better opponent, but... No, obviously. But we're trying to... That's why That's why week one is hard. And I do think there's some overreactions, bottom line. like, mm-hmm. and, and you see it across the country. People are writing off Michigan. People are writing off Miami. People are writing off Florida State, right? There's some UCLA. There's some big-time teams that look bad. But I'm not yeah. writing off Michigan. I'm not writing off Michigan either. Um, the offensive line was pretty bad, like, and I thought that was going to be a pretty good group this year. And and certainly you allow some room for early struggles, but they would like they couldn't block Notre Dame. Yeah. And but the the more troubling thing for me was, and I think there there are, if it continues, there are comparisons to be made to Ohio State in 2015. It's possible Jim Harbaugh doesn't know how to use a quarterback like Shea Patterson. And like people, people who are smarter about football X's and O's than I am, were tweeting during the game like, "Why are they running out of the power eye formation with Shea Patterson? Why isn't everything out of shotgun spread and letting him create plays and use his feet?" Like he was, he was put in tough spots 
because Jim Harbaugh was not seemed unwilling to mold his offense to the quarterback that he had. And then I did see some other smart football people saying, like, you know what? Like Jim Harbaugh has done some of this stuff. He did it with the Niners. He did some RPO yeah, stuff. Kaepernick. He did yeah. like maybe he didn't do it with Andrew Luck, yeah. right? But it's not like it's not like any of that stuff is one hundred percent completely foreign to him. Mm-hmm. So why why did they not have a better handle on putting Shea Patterson in positions to succeed? Because it's funny, again, that was like the worry with Dwayne Haskins. Will Ohio State adjust its offense enough to put Dwayne Haskins in positions to succeed? And I thought game one, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Against a terrible team, but game one, absolutely. But they were already like they didn't need to change under center versus shotgun. They didn't need to change uh we're, you know with JT Barrett we had three receivers and one tailback on the field. They're they're doing everything the same formationally with Dwayne Haskins they did with JT Barrett and they should. They didn't need to change that. There are some basics, right? Just just to the personnel you put on the field. And the way you line them up that does not seem to match Shea Patterson, do you think Jim Harbaugh will change? Or do you think this is going to be a year-long square peg round hole? I don't know. I think I think losing can force you to change. And I think it's good to bring up what he did with the Niners. So it, because, because it's there and he's done it in the past and there's examples of him being successful with it, I think he can change. Um, but I don't know. I... I it still doesn't explain to me why he didn't come into the season with that plan in place when it was clear he should have. So maybe there's a stubbornness there that we're not taking into yeah. account. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And again, I just think it's, it's we beg, right? We beg for real games early because sometimes there's weeks in the college football season where there's just no game of interest, especially early in the non-conference slate. And so I'm trying to think, what, what was the net, what was the second Tim, you can look this up. Who was the second best team that a Big Ten that the Big Ten played in the first week? Like, just again, as we're yeah, criticizing probably, and mocking Michigan, and people are putting up as Harbaugh on the hot seat. I probably can't believe, Texas, right? Yeah. If you oh want, yeah, Texas. If you want to go by ranking, it's Texas. Yeah, Maryland gets it done. God, I didn't yeah. watch a snap of that game. How'd that happen? I have no idea. Tim Beck. Tom oh, yeah, we're talking about Tim Beck. about Tim Beck this week. Yeah, apparently, Tom Herman, after the game, quoted something from the book of Mice and Men to try and get his team to try and relax his team, thinking they, say, believing they overthought things against Maryland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I think the AP guy, like, like you guys read Mice and Men? I read it. Like, Lenny kills a rabbit? Yeah. No, but that's, he didn't kill a rabbit. He dreamed of rabbits. Oh. And then he killed a person. No, no, no. That was Lenny that was killed at the end. No. Spoilers. He killed a woman. And then they, they, then uh, George had to kill Lenny because they were coming to get him. Oh. Oh. God, that sounds sad. I'm glad I never read it. No, it's really good. I read it and watched the movie. There were times when I was younger and I was a giant child who didn't know how to control my body and like (gasps) people would, people would call me Lenny. No! (laughs) And you thought I was like Lenny and Squiggy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh! Okay, well, I don't think that was a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not, yeah. Okay, so so anyway, so Maryland uh, beat up Texas, and that's a really good win for Maryland. But but again, it's just it's hard for me in a world where Ohio State's beating Oregon State and Wisconsin's beating Western Kentucky. 
um, to get get too wound up. What was the score of the Michigan Notre Dame game? Twenty four seventeen. Like yeah. a touchdown game. It, so in spite of all that, they still had a shot to tie the game. They they played worse than the score indicated. Yes, mm-hmm. they had the touch. They, they had a special teams touchdown, right? But like, and and there were chances there at the end that I, you know. Given how they looked, you maybe thought they were going to get blown off the field, and they didn't. So yeah. I, I just I'm not I'm not out on Michigan. I'm not a hundred percent out on Michigan. I think Michigan can have a very good year. All right, let's get to some um, Ohio State questions. Do you have one lined up from Twitter? I don't. Uh, well, I could. I could very quickly. I have one. All right. This is from uh, Adam uh, Butel. He emailed it in to BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. He says, The offense looked electric on Saturday, but it was against a vastly inferior opponent compared with what they'll see later in the season. So, how many points per game will Ohio State average? Oh! Can we double-check what they've averaged lately? Because this goes back to, famously, in 2015... We were like, I, we did do over-unders that year. We always talk about this two over-unders. I think we did over-unders that year before the season, and it was over-under 50 points a game for Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And I think they basically, in 2014, scored like 44 or 45 points a game. And I think we were in on over 50 points a game, and they scored 35 points a game. They, they fell off by, I think, 10 points a game from 14 to 15 with an offense that had JT Barrett and Cardale Jones, Michael Thomas, Ezekiel Elliott, Braxton Miller, young Curtis Samuel. Like, they had so much. Jalen Marshall. Mm. They had so much. Nick Vanette. They had so much talent on that offense. Taylor Decker. And they did not know what to do with it. It was the first thing I wrote after the game. My, my quick column after the game was they do know what to do with it this year as a specific comparison to 2015. So let's run through how many points per game they've scored the last couple of years. All right. I got 2014 was 44.8. That was the championship season. That would put them number five. 2015, they fell all the way to 28th at 35.7. That's a nine point per game drop. 2016 was 39.4, which was 13th, so they went up. And then last season, 41.1, which was tied with Penn State for 6th. Okay. How many teams in the country scored 50 points per game last year? Zero. UCF was number one at 48.2. Okay. So that's the kind of bar we're talking about here. Now, they have Rutgers. They have Tulane. They have Indiana, Minnesota, Purdue. So, and they're ahead of pace. They're twenty-seven over pace. Um, Not number one in the, in the country in scoring, though. Who scored more than seventy-seven? Fresno State hung seventy-nine on Idaho. Wow. <laughs> Newly FCS school, Idaho. So tell me, so okay, so what's your prediction? If you had to predict right now, points per game for Ohio State in the regular season, because we don't know. And then at the end of the year, the overall thing is going to be how many games they play. But let's just go regular season right now. 45. Okay. The 47 and a half. I mean, I, I think so. They scored 44.8 in 2014. I think they could be over that. Both you guys are over that. Yeah. I, I think, but I think like 46, 47, 48, like 50 is so hard. Because it's like if you score, if you beat Penn State like 24, 21, 
then you have to score like, I was going to say, you have to score like 75 points to make up for that, which they just did. But you just, you can't really have many games in the 20s if you're going to score 50 a game. Haven't had a team average 50 points per game since 2013 when Florida State and Baylor both did it. Jameis. Jameis. And Bryce Petty. I mean, Bryce Petty, come on. I don't even know. Uh, Was it Bryce Petty? I guess it was. So... That's a high bar, but I think like 46, 47, what you guys are talking about, and like in contention to be the highest scoring team in the country, part of it is what they want to do. Part of it is, you know, Brian Sneed and Tate Martell were putting points on the board late in that game. Are they going to put, how much are they going to play backups? But they also kept backups in in, in the third quarter, well into the third quarter. It's like your backups have to score. Yes. To, to do that, and I think Ohio State's backups are going to score a lot. All right, so we're like at, f- I'll say 47. Tim said 47, you said 45. 45. All right. Good question from at Joe underscore OSU. When both are healthy, who do you think plays more snaps, Baron Browning or Tough Borland? Ooh. Who do you think will? Who do you think should? Both questions. Um, I think the answer to both is Tough Borland right now. And that doesn't mean I don't think Byron Browning should play. I just kind of think maybe he should play outside linebacker, one of the spots. Tough Borland should be your middle linebacker, provided that he's healthy. And and at least for this time as they're trying to work in some young guys at the position. Tough Borland should be your middle linebacker on first down, second down, and anything that's like not definitely a passing down. Short yardage, red zone, all that stuff. Like I think he's just the smartest linebacker they have. He's the most ex- well, I guess Malik Harrison's pretty experienced, but no, Tough Borland's more experienced. I think he's made more starts. Um, I think he's a big missing piece, and I didn't I didn't anticipate anticipate that coming into the year. I was actually kind of down on the potential impact of Tough Borland's injury, and I think we saw it against Oregon State, who's not a very good offensive team, granted with a good offensive coaching staff. Um, and I think it's only going to get more difficult moving forward. I think Rutgers' offense is probably a little better. Uh, TCU's is definitely better. Um, I don't know anything about Tulane. They got Penn State, so I think you need tough in there. I think he should play more. I think he will play more once he's all the way back. I don't think that'll be this week because I don't. Th- I don't think he's quite there yet this week to play. We played ten snaps last week. Maybe we'll play between like twenty and thirty this week. Yeah. Um, TCU. I think he'll be full go and he'll be the starting middle linebacker. It was interesting that Greg Schiano really laid it out that that, and you know we're not doctors. Like, we sort of were talking about Tough Borland, like, when's he going to play? Like, when's he going to be back? And and it was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he was back for the opener. But he wasn't really back for the opener. Like, Greg Schiano was laying out that, like, getting game action is part of his recovery. He's still in his recovery. Ten snaps against Oregon State was part of his recovery. Yes, he played in a game. He's not ready to be full go. So that he is on this, it, it's not so miraculous that like, oh my God, he's back. He's not. So I think it's very interesting to watch this unfold. I think you're right. Like, do we know for sure he's going to be ready to be himself for TCU? No, we don't yeah. know that. Maybe. I don't, you know, they're not going to reveal every part of his recovery plan. Um, I was also reading somebody who's like an NFL draft guy or is doing like top 50 prospects. That gave like a very – like Tough Borland was in there as like top 50 draft prospects in the country. And they were giving Whoa. a very glowing breakdown of Tough Borland as like an every down instinctual go-make-a-play linebacker. 
And I think it's possible that Tough Borland will show us that this year. I don't, I just think in a nickel on third down, they probably have two better guys to put on the field. And they didn't have a one there on third down. It was like a, it was a rotation of Browning, Werner, and Harrison playing on third down. Yeah, I think like Harrison's definitely on the field on third down as a linebacker, and yeah. then somebody else. Mm-hmm. I just think on the list of you know, doesn't mean Tough Borland couldn't do it and won't do it. Um, I'm just very curious to see what Tough Borland becomes because like, what if he's just like the what if he's Raekwon McMillan? <laughs> like, what if he's James Laurinaitis? What if he's just actually what he is when completely healthy and, like, with enough experience to, like, be a guy? He's just, like, 115 tackle a year, leader of the defense, out there basically all the time except on third and 12, but, like, even could be if you wanted to. Just, like, absolute heart of the defense defines who you are kind of guy. Like, that's a high bar. Raekwon McMillan was really, really good. But I don't know that, I mean, Raekwon McMillan, but like Jerome Baker, I'd rather have Jerome Baker out on third down than Raekwon McMillan. Raekwon McMillan can do it, does do it, has done it. Yep. But like, man, like most of the time, give me Raekwon McMillan. Like, give me James Laurinaitis. I don't know. I'm very curious for healthy, tough Borland because I think maybe he's that. Maybe he's that, and if he's that, then it's like, well, I, you know, it's, it's great. I love Baron Browning. I'm all excited about Baron Browning. I don't know, man. What if Puff, Tough Borland's a second round pick? I don't know. I just was, I was, I don't know. I'm open. I'm open to that, and my expectation is that he will play more than Browning, based on what you said. I, I'm not where I don't know where I am on the should. I think the idea of we need a middle linebacker to make sure we're doing the right things and we're filling the right gaps. There was like one play where Baron Browning was, it stood out, was really not in the right spot. And an 80 yard run happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think Baron Browning was in the wrong spot all the time. No, and he had, there were, there was another play, uh, I think like Malik Harrison forced a run out wide and then Baron Browning came really far from the opposite end of the field and like cleaned it up before the guy got past the line of scrimmage. Like he can clearly cover a lot of space. He's just in a new role. I don't, I don't think when they recruited him, they were anticipating playing him at middle linebacker. And which means he wasn't anticipating playing middle linebacker because I think he's just the kind of athlete who needs to be in space a little more. Um, so it's new for him. So I think I think you're okay. I think you can live with it. And I think they see a lot of promise in him playing that position. But they also have a very important game next week, and I don't think he could be toying around with promise when you know you have tough Borland. Should the Buckeyes cheer for Joe Burrow and LSU to win the SEC? That's from it's absolute zero Kelvin Corbin. Um, so let's talk about this a little bit. You wrote a story about Joe Burrow mm-hmm. after uh, his performance against Miami on Sunday night. Like, everybody loves Joe Burrow. Like, everybody. all the former Buckeyes. What did that show you that there were so many former Buckeyes saying, like, that's my guy. I knew Joe Burrow was going to do this. I think it was, was it Demetrius or Brandon Bowen or Demetrius Knox? One of the linemen tweeted, like, never thought I'd be rooting for LSU. But, like, I think it was I think it was Brandon Bowen, yeah. And um, Mike Weber loved him, like all yeah, these Nick guys. Bosa. Nick Bosa was also happy that Miami was losing. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, I, it showed me that, like, we talk a lot about Dwayne Haskins' like arm and how transformative it can be for the offense. We also talk a lot about how Dwayne just sort of like carries himself as a very confident guy. 
and like reminds, I think, us of, of when we were around Deshaun Watson at the Fiesta Bowl a couple of years ago, very similar personalities, just like cool and calm. Um, I think it showed me like Joe Burrow has some of that too, and it drew his teammates to him, and I think uh, he could have led this team the same way I anticipate Dwayne Haskins will, maybe in a different way, maybe even a better way, maybe closer to JT Barrett. still think Dwayne is more talented, but, but Joe Burrow has like the it factor about him that maybe I didn't antici- did not anticipate until I saw, one, the way he handled himself in that game against a really sort of aggressive defense with not a great offensive line blocking for him, but also the way his teammates were responding to it on social media. Like, they love that guy. So, Tim, as we look at that division, it's the is it the SEC West. Cajun? The West, what's it called? Yeah. The West? SEC Extra Crispy. Um, so who's in that? It's, uh, it's Auburn, Alabama, LSU. Is that right? Auburn, yeah. Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Missouri. I I think Missouri, Arkansas, no Missouri Arkansas, Missouri. and Texas A and M. That's a lot of famous programs. weren't that good? How good can <laughs> LSU be in that division? I think like a lot of people watched that game the other night. Um, and Joe Burrow, Joe, I thought Joe Burrow was so funny after the game because like we've interviewed, and I do think there's like it was. There was too much Joe Burrow love. I mean, like, Ohio State Twitter was like, oh, the backup quarterback, I'm so... Like, it was, including the media, it's like, it's yeah. fine. We're, people are a little too nuts. Um, like, good luck to Joe Burrow. Good luck to him. But, like, after the game, when they asked him a question, and he answered like he was, at, like, talking on the indoor at the Woody, like, after his redshirt freshman season. Yeah. He was like, well, I don't know. It was like... He's like, well, I got here. Everybody's like, oh, you're going to go five and seven or six and six. And I got here and I was like, man, there's a lot of talent here. We can be pretty good. It was like, that's not a TV answer, Joe Burrow. <laughs> you're a little too relaxed, man. Like, can that, can that LSU team with Joe Burrow just like running the show? Can that LSU team compete with Alabama and Auburn, Tim? Think, or are they definitely a step below? I think they're close. What I'll say when I say close because we Wait, knew what this, was the question. How, like, like, can the can, the question was should people be rooting for LSU to win the SEC? Oh, I thought you were saying LSU was close to being as good as Alabama. No, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, okay. I'm, I'm asking. So, someone's saying should should people be should Ohio State fans root for LSU to win the SEC? So oh, I, yeah. I'm sort of asking, yeah, like, yeah. okay, like you can root for it. Like, is there any chance that it could yeah, happen? Okay. okay. Because already we're, we were playing the game all like Ohio State LSU college football semifinal in Dallas because that's where that game was. That's where Ohio State's going to be in two weeks. Could do, and then they can meet there again. Yeah. Could you imagine the divide among our podcast listeners if that happens? It would be like the spring times a thousand. No, there'd be they, no divide. They don't want Ohio State. Yeah, to nobody's going to view. Or if or if it's a cl- like I don't know. I mean, I'm still imagining that – I'm sure people are obviously still a little bit divided. They're probably watched – That one guy who accused us of taking money from Dwayne Haskins to pump him up in the spring might oh, yeah. want LSU to win. But yeah, other yeah. than that, I think we would. Yeah. No, but, I but, think most Ohio State fans would root for Ohio State. Right. But getting back to LSU, um, I think they're a tiny step below. Their defense is on par with Alabama's, I think. That game Sunday night showed me a lot about that. I think it was the pick six by, I, th- I believe his name was Jacob Phillips, and they have a really good defensive line led by Rashard Lawrence, a defensive tackle, who I thought played very well. The c- concerns I have for LSU are more specifically coaching. I think it's something that's never gone away ever since LSU beat Ohio State for the national championship. I feel like coaching's let them down. LSU is a history of clock mismanagement. I didn't watch the whole game, but 
But towards the end, like four minutes left in the first quarter, LSU was out of timeouts. With 11 yeah, minutes gone in the game, yeah, like how does that happen? Like, I don't even think did Ohio State even call a timeout at all on Saturday? I think not. Ryan Day doesn't need timeouts. No. Yeah, they didn't call. I mean, they didn't need to well, call coach, a timeout. Coach O but, needs to think things over. But Coach O spent a le- like spent his timeouts in the first, not even half of that first half. Let me ask this question. Which coach did a better job integrating a transfer, starting transfer quarterback, into his new offense? Coach O or Jim Harbaugh? Coach O. Coach O. Who's better, Shea Patterson or Joe Burrow? Shea Patterson, I think. I don't know. If Joe Burrow had transferred to Michigan and Shea Patterson had transferred to LSU, would that have changed either results of the big weekend games? Basically, could Joe Burrow have beaten Notre Dame? Uh, or were there, were there enough other problems? Yeah, I think there. Were, I think there are okay. more fundamental problems with Michigan's offense. I'm just, yeah. I'm just, I'm standing up for Coach O a little bit because that quarterback, whatever they did, they screwed up the timeouts. Whatever they did, they got an offense ready for the new guy, and the new guy. Now, a lot of credit goes to Joe Burrow, but. Shea Patterson was there in the spring at Michigan, mm-hmm. and they looked like they never, like you said, they didn't even have the right offense for him. Joe Burrow got there in June. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that was an interesting contrast in. Well, they didn't. They didn't use. They didn't use Burrow great, and I think. I think the you answer think they did not use him great. They think they could have used them better. They could have trusted him more. They were, they were very conservative. I thought LSU, and that's like that's like the biggest knock against Coach O's offense. He can't. Find an offensive coordinator that he trusts, and then the offense is very conservative. And I think the answer to the question of can they actually like contend for the SEC West um, depends on whether or not they grow to trust Joe Burrow more. Because if they're just going to run the quarterback, run run the ball and ignore their quarterback, who is pretty good, um, I think the answer to that is no. And I did think they they need to let him run a little more. He had a good run, and the announcer was yes. sort of like, "By the way, people at Ohio State say Joe Burrow, yeah." Everyone who's watched Ohio State knows that Joe Burrow can run. JT Barrett really could run it. Joe Burrow is, I don't think, is not is not that far behind JT Barrett as an effective runner at quarterback. And I, he might be a little more athletic. Yeah, I think JT. I, I think more, actually, I think he is more athletic. I think JT's more powerful. Yeah, JT like breaks tackles and finds a way to get the yards you need to get. But I think Joe's got a little more open field wiggle and can do some stuff. Mm-hmm. You ready for LSU schedule? Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. Saturday they host Southeastern Louisiana. Oh, the fighting! Um, they're the Lions. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. They're not I'm, the crayfish, crawfish. Okay, go ahead. But well, considering they're not, I think that's a failure on their part. Next Saturday, the Saturday after that, they're at they're in the plains at Auburn. Should be a great game, I think. Stidham and Burrow should be a fun duel to watch. Yeah. Uh, the twenty second they host Louisiana Tech. Week after that, home against Ole Miss. Okay. And then, then's when it gets fun. The next Saturday at Florida, the third, the following Saturday home against Georgia, following Saturday home against Mississippi State by week. Then they host Alabama at Arkansas, and then they host Rice and they're at Texas A and M. Is Florida good? Or does Florida stink? Doesn't Florida stink? I think Florida might stink. Yeah. Does Arkansas stink? I think Arkansas. Might does stink. Mississippi State stink? No, Mississippi State's good. Who's Mississippi State's coach? Joe Moorhead. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, you know what doesn't stink? The Missy Tailgate T-shirt. Here's what I'm doing right now. I am shopping at shopohiostate.com. 
our female listeners, I'm just, I'm, there's some stuff catching my eye. So the female listeners, this is great for you, or if you're a male listener and you want to buy something nice for the woman in your life, the Missy Tailgate t-shirt. Again, this is such cool, classy stuff. It's like a striped, relaxing shirt that looks really good at the tailgate with the Ohio State logo. That's $47.98. That's a bargain for that. Everybody's wearing like the flannel shirts now. They got the uh, UG Apparel Missy plaid tunic and the Missy Boyfriend plaid. Ooh. Okay? These are really cool, like more into the fall. You got the real cool Ohio State logo, but these are cool shirts that you'd be buying like at Abercrombie & Fitch or Urban Outfitters or whatever. Like I took my daughter to Urban Outfitters. People are buying. We were at uh, some other thing. Everything has an ampersand, right? Mm-hmm. Something outfitter, this and that, person in person. There's a thing. The plaid, the plaid for women, like the, the plaid shirt is in now, right? She got one. Sure. She got one. You get the Ohio State logo on it. It's like a real shirt with the logo. Classy, looks good on game day, looks good at the office, looks good at the tailgate. This is what you get at shopohiostate.com. So if you're a lunkhead dude who doesn't know like what to buy your girlfriend or your wife, just get her a new shirt for football season. How cool would that be? And it's not like a lunkhead, just like a random t-shirt that you got. Because you're a lunkhead and you just wear whatever that says Ohio State. It's a really nice shirt. Now, if you're a lunkhead and you just want to get whatever, and I'm calling you lunkheads as a lunkhead. It's not, yeah. it's a term of endearment. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the hell we're doing. But I'm telling you, you go to shopohiostate.com. It makes it easy. You're on the website. It's fun. They have all the little pictures. You just scroll at shopohiostate.com. Everything looks cool. There are so many options. You cannot go wrong for yourself, for your significant other, for your kids, for your friends. Go to shopohiostate.com. Also stop in the Ohio State Barnes & Noble bookstore on High Street. It's a really cool store. You can look yourself in there. You can feel the, the material. Sometimes people like to do that. You feel the material. But the experience on shopohiostate.com gives you everything you want. They have a coupon on there. You can get 25% off, um, which which is a, a nice way to get you into the store. You sign up, you get 25% off Spirit Gear. They've got some other back-to-school stuff. So just do it. Either swing by the store on High Street or visit shopohiostate.com. More questions. Sorry, I'm, I was I'm panicking. I think I might have I think I might have ranked Washington too high. Where'd you rank them? <laughs> Seven. Too high. What'd you rank Auburn? Five. As long as you ranked Auburn ahead of him. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. Here's the thing. Are you overcompensating for your noodle arm assessment of Jake Browning? No, I'm just very – like they, they play what I think is by far the toughest game and they lost by five and like probably could have won that game and also had a BS penalty that should have been called that took the ball away from him when it wasn't called. Um, so I don't know. I think I, – I've done this in my voting. I've I've often – I probably rewarded teams who lose too much just because of who they play. I'm down with that. I'm, um, I, that's acceptable. But like I have, like Virginia Tech was very impressive at Florida State. LSU beat Miami, and I have both those teams behind Washington. I mean, that might have been a mistake. Someone gave me crap for it. That's fine. Uh, Brennan Boone had a question. He says, uh, "As I sit here watching Ohio State demolish Oregon State, one thing worries me about our near future: what kind of sanctions can Ohio State expect for playing Sean Nuremberger after he's been here for no less than ten years?" <laughs> I just thought that was a funny question. 
He has been here a long time. He has been here a long time. Fifth year kicker. But I think he loves it. Doesn't he seem like he loves it? He's embracing the college experience. Yeah, and he, I think he's also gotten much better over the course of his career. Yeah, credit to him. Yeah. He had a rough start. Also, by the way, Drew Chrisman looked awesome. Stone's punt there in the uh, second quarter. Was that a 90-yard punt? What was that? It was awesome. 90, yeah, 90 yards. Um, Let me dip in with one here from okay. Nilly 97 More likely, no losses in September for Ohio State or two losses oh. in September. Oh, Oh, I, I, that's an easy answer for me. None. None. Yeah, uh, the none. idea. That's a good of, question, though. The idea, because because obviously it's like, well, we could lose to the that offense. I don't know how that offense. And, and here's the thing, and we'll get to this a little bit more too. I think they scored seventy-seven in the opener in two thousand sixteen. Yeah, against mm-hmm. Bowling Green. Um, in two thousand fifteen at Virginia Tech, and I mentioned this in the column I wrote after the game, like. Zeke had like 112 yards or something on 11 carries. Braxton had a big game. Cardale was smooth and efficient. Like they looked good that week. This is not the first time we've seen the Ohio State offense look good early. And we'll dig into this more. But I'm buying it. I'm buying the Ohio State offense. So I don't know how that offense goes out and gets stopped by both TCU and Penn State to the degree that they would lose both those games. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe some, you know what? I, I don't know how, I, well, there is a formula. Now we're diverting off the question. What's the formula to stopping the offense? Right now the formula, and Ryan Day said this, the formula to stopping the offense is getting pressure because you don't know what Dwayne Haskins is going to do. Mm-hmm. He's probably not going to run. I feel okay, though, about him moving out of the pocket and throwing on the run. He did a little of that. I think if and I think if Ryan Day and Urban Meyer and Kevin Wilson face a team and feel a team early that's getting consistent pressure, our tackles can't block these guys. They're going to move the pocket all the time. Yeah. And they're going to get him out of there and that I think he can do. I do not have questions about Dwayne Haskins throwing on the run, especially if it's a planned run because we can't block him. And then I think they if they're they're going to dial up some misdirection runs and pop a hole here or two. I, I like the play on the goal line. They had two tight ends with Barry and Farrell. They brought Barry across the formation, got Haskins on a little rollout to that side, wide open for a six-yard touchdown. It looked easy, but I think the number one thing is what would Dwayne Haskins do under pressure, but I think they could alleviate it with play calling that I'm not – if I'm Ohio State, I'm not panicked about that. Yep. And the play you were talking about, the Barry touchdown, was actually something I saw in the Michigan highlights when I went back and did my Dwayne Haskins 2017 chart. They ran a very similar play. I think it, I'm, I'm trying to remember who they faked it to, but it was the same kind of action. Fake it to the one side, Haskins bootlegs to the other, and dumps a pass on the flat for a nice short gain. So it seemed like that's part of the that's part of the things you do with a quarterback who's not as mobile, not as willing to run as JT Barrett, is you create moving pockets from time to time just to keep a defense from like going forward to keep them off balance and direct them the wrong direction. I think there's a there's a there's decent film from the Michigan game about how Haskins handles pressure because Michigan got after him a little bit and he had that long scramble. He did throw a couple nice balls on the run, um, but also against Oregon State and maybe just because he was like in the groove and like was dicing that defense up. He got hit on the interception that he threw, and he, it was a pass that he probably shouldn't have thrown. And he did it like a guy was pulling him to the ground. And he admitted after the game, someone said, Dwayne, what's what's your takeaway from this game? And he's like, the interception I threw. Which is like the thing guys say all the time. Um, 
But I would just keep that in the back of your mind when you're wondering what he might do with pressure. I think it's possible to try to do a little too much, and I think he did on that play. But I think it's mostly a product of him just feeling pretty good on this in his first start. Which I'm also okay with. I want him trying to do too much. Interceptions. So. I think interceptions are good. I agree with you on that. Um, if you're throwing through windows and a ball gets tipped and a, or a defender beats yeah. your guy to the spot, I think that's fine. Like throwing a ball off your back foot where you're getting thrown to the ground in the red zone. In the red zone, maybe not. Great it's idea. not ideal. I mean, yeah. Deep shot down the sideline that the corner catches 45 yards from the line of scrimmage, yeah. and it's basically like a punt. Yeah, yeah. Those, and, and again, but, and I understand like not all interceptions are created equal. Any anything in the in the red zone is amplified, but I he hung in there. He didn't. I I want him hanging in. Yep. I want him not afraid to hang in. He's big. I'm not sure how strong he is yet. The one thing about JT is JT was really strong. Yep. And we've had players talk about that. They always said JT, tackling JT was like tackling a fullback. So if JT was feeling pressure inside, he could stay on his feet and and not go down on the first hit. I'm curious to see how Dwayne handles that. Um, but I want Dwayne staying, I want Dwayne staying aggressive at all costs. Now again, uh, on the list of the types of interceptions, that's one of the worst kinds. But I want him staying aggressive. Yeah, I think that's true. Here's a good one from Brock Doctor. I'm going to jump in again. Do Greg Schiano, Ryan Day, and Kevin Wilson all leave after this season? Um, I think Schiano, yes. I think Day, very likely. It's hard to say without knowing what jobs are going to open up. I don't know if Kevin Wilson will ever get a head coaching job again, just because of the way it ended in Indiana. Player and like and I, and we still really don't know what's true, but he was, he contends he contends there wasn't he contends there was there. nothing. The athletic director at Indiana I think called it like a difference of uh, values or something like that. Um, but then our players have been vocal against him and the way he ran the program and sort of the way he treated players. So I don't know. I think you can get past that with if it's the right school. But I'm inclined to believe that Kevin Wilson is here for a couple more years, maybe maybe at least one more after this. Uh, Dane Shiano, I would. If I had to bet, I would bet not. But we also, if we had to bet last year, would we have bet Shiano was back or no? No. I voted, after every year, I would have bet no. And and he, if the Tennessee thing didn't get mm-hmm. sideways, he would have been gone. Tim, do you think who's back, who's not? I think Day is the most likely to leave. I mean, he was close to leaving at the end of last season after just one year as the quarterback's coach. Um, but now that now that I've kind of, we got to look at what he can do as, an, as a head coach, as an acting head coach, and in his press conference, he's looked the part, like, he looks and talks like a future head coach, like a guy who will be a head coach probably next year and be, I think, pretty successful at it, mostly dependent on where he goes. I just don't know. I don't know what opens up. So the thing is, I think Ryan Day might get to the point. So he's if he already turned down Mississippi State and an NFL offensive coordinator, coordinator job, like, what's he waiting for? He turned down an SEC job. Yeah. That's what Urban Meyer says, that the Joe Moorhead job that we're talking about, they asked Ohio State's offensive coordinator first. Then they went to Penn State's offensive coordinator. So I wonder if that was a Mullen thing. Urban Meyer has an offensive coordinator who's from oh, New Hampshire. Maybe. Wonder if that could work at Mississippi State. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Dan Mullen, Ryan Day, both from New Hampshire, both the on the Urban Meyer tree. Yeah. Um. So so, Tom Herman was here for three years. Mm-hmm. Tom Herman. I think Tom Herman knew exactly what he wanted to do. I mean, I think he wouldn't have said it. If he would have said to Tom Herman, Where do you, what's your ultimate goal? I think he would have said head coach at Texas. Mm-hmm. 
And head coach Houston was one step away from like he. What happened is exactly what his plan was, what his dream was, and it worked perfectly. He went to Houston for two years. Texas was already starting to fall apart. He waited it out, went to Texas. I don't know what Ryan Day's dream job is. I have no idea. I don't think it's the University of New Hampshire. <laughs> but but it's one of those, like you said, like he, I don't think he takes, he doesn't take, if, T, if P.J. Fleck leaves, he doesn't take the Minnesota job. No, I don't think he so. He doesn't take, if Mike Leach quits, he doesn't take the Washington State job. He doesn't. Would, but would he get the USC job if Clay? You know, like I, I, he might end up in an interesting spot where if he didn't take Mississippi State, but I don't know that he would. Like Kirby Smart could have left Alabama a million times. How long was Kirby Smart the defensive coordinator of Alabama? Eight years, thirty-nine years. Yeah. It's like, oh, what's Kirby Smart waiting for? Um, the job where he can win a national title is right away yeah. at Georgia. So I'm not saying that Ryan Day is Kirby Smart, but I'm saying sometimes, and that he's making a million. I don't think he should be making a million. I don't think they should do it. People disagreed with me on that. Assistant coaches make too much. It's the market. They're not worth it. Ryan Day is doing a good job. When he leaves, as long as they don't hire Tim Beck, they'll get somebody else good. But that's what the deal is. So he's making a million. He's running an offense. He can be very picky. He has young kids. He doesn't want to go somewhere where he might get fired in three years if he doesn't win. So all of a sudden, your pool narrows. Because if you're too good for Mississippi State, and I don't think that if Dabo leaves, Ryan Days is going to be at the top of the list for Clemson, that is a, that is a pretty small window that you're trying to hit. And a lot of big jobs like just opened. You know, Florida State's not going anywhere. Georgia's not going anywhere. Like maybe LSU if Coach O gets fired. Like LSU. But it is not. I don't think there's 20 jobs for Ryan Day. Can I make a bold prediction? If, if Coach O gets fired, the new coach will be someone from the Big Ten. Either Jeff Brom or Ryan Day. One of them will be the LSU coach if Coach O gets fired. I, th- I think that job... Where you're from matters, and I don't know. I don't. I don't know if. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean Les, Les Miles is from is from was, Ohio, right? Les Miles is from Elyria. Yeah. Went to Michigan and was the coach at Oklahoma State when yeah. he got hired. Yeah, I mean, you have to be a good recruiter because you, especially because you're going to get the best players in Louisiana. They they never go anywhere else. So you have to be able to to recruit out. Really prioritize outside state recruiting because you could just pick and choose the guys in your Ryan own. Ryan Day has recruited Texas. Yes, he's recruited all over, which is interesting. Texas, California, he's had success yeah. in Texas, California, and I, and, and if they're West, sick yeah. of the Ed Ogeron offense, maybe they want an offensive. I mean, they're guy. definitely going to get an offensive guy. Yeah, they and, wanted Herman. And I, the thing that would interest yeah. me, I would keep it. I would love to keep an eye on this for LSU. Whatever happens, do they keep Dave Aranda, who's, who's the highest paid defensive coordinator in college football? I think he's getting paid like two and a half million dollars. If like it'd be an easy thing to like, like be like we got a defensive coach here. If you want him, you can keep him. We just want your offense to kind of finish everything off because that's what LSU needs is an offense. And, like, you know, here we – I mean, do you know, Tim, like who the best coaching candidates are in the ACC and in the Pac-12? I mean, it's like to – get you know, 
Ryan, I mean, I don't know. Ryan Day is good. It's not Ryan Day. I mean, I, I, and again, as usual with a lot of this stuff, you know. Kane Patterson committed to Clemson. Just happened. Ryan Day, um, Ryan Day is doing a good job. He's not Vince Lombardi. I mean, it's like we can't, like sometimes on this beat, it's like you can't just but say. He's not, but it's not, it's not just here, though. He's a hot coordinator in the eyes of a lot of people. No, I know. But, I mean, so is Brent Venables. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I know he's I, a defensive coordinator. I, but I'm just, saying, I just, I'm just saying I think, I think he is worthy of this conversation now. Okay. I don't know. I mean, it's like the guy got up at a podium and, like, talked in complete No, it has nothing to, has know, nothing to do with, with that. I don't care. Good like, congratulations. You didn't throw up when you stood at the podium. <laughs> It's not about. I just think he's a good coach. But it's just it's like, like if we run down, it's like there's if there's forty programs he'd be interested in. I think thirty of those forty programs like have their head coach, mm-hmm. and it might be thirty five of the forty. So your your window is like, and then he's. I don't think he's in a hurry. I also think he's forty nine, right? Oh no, he's thirty nine. Thirty nine. Um, I don't know. We get a question about like Urban's future and like how long he's going to stick around. Urban signed through twenty twenty two. That's not that long to stick around if you think you can get the job after Urban. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, it's like I, I don't know. I think Ryan Day might increase his chances of getting the Ohio State job by like leaving and yeah, doing yeah, a really yeah, good yeah, job somewhere, somewhere if he wants to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think you know being the offensive coordinator at Ohio State's a pretty good job, and so. I mean, obviously, he's above, like, he's above the MAC. He's above, like, he's in the Power 5 level. But, I mean, we could, we're we not going to do it. We could run through the 66 Power 5 jobs and say, wouldn't take it, wouldn't take it, wouldn't take it. Would he take Notre Dame? Yeah, he'd take Notre Dame if Brian Kelly gets fired. I don't know. Is that where, would that satisfy Notre Dame to Probably say we not. got, like, I, you know, so, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And he doesn't have a G- – again, he's, like Boston College isn't his dream job, even though he's coached at Boston College a lot. Twice, yeah. Like that's not – it's not like, oh, if Adazio goes, Ryan Day is going to Boston College. He's above Boston College already. Unless he just loves New England, man. I mean, the, have you been – have you seen the foliage in the fall? They got good clam chowder. Too. They got – the syrup comes right out of the tree. <laughs> you just go up, you stick your mouth on a tree, and it's breakfast all day long. I'm looking at this is an SI article that was written just the other day. It has like the, the seats that are hot or could potentially be hot. It's Illinois. He wouldn't go there. North Carolina, interesting. Texas Tech, he wouldn't go there. Kansas, who would go there? Uh, then LSU. Ed Warner, one of the Kansas. Yeah, Ed Warner. Would, yeah, he'd walk to Kansas <laughs> if he could have that coaching job. Uh, LSU, Kentucky, Rutgers, BC, and Colorado. I think there's one and a half jobs. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is a good question from G. Kinnich. He's George. Klinich. G-K-L. I'm getting nearsighted. You're old. God, there's so many parts of my body that don't work anymore. G. Klinich. Do you see Dwayne Haskins favoring a receiver? I know it's only 30 passes, but are you seeing anything, or is he just taking what is available? And I have an answer on that. Do you want me to give mine first? Yeah. I think he's not favoring anybody. I, I think th- he's not either. And I thought he would. I thought I thought we'd see a lot of attempts to Austin Mack. And I, I thought think it we was, would. It was pretty even, right? Didn't like, a couple very, guys have 4-4-4-4-3-2? Four, 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 like, it, it, it felt it was almost like purposefully even. Yeah. Yeah. He just throws to the guy who's open. Mm-hmm. I I looked at it again, just because I did a little Dwayne Haskins story for Tuesday morning, and I didn't want to look at the whole game. 
I didn't rewatch the whole game. I watched like the first half and like the first two possessions. I, I watched a chunk of it, but yeah. the very I feel like the very first throw of the game told you so much of what you need to know. It was just a three-step drop, bang, Terry McLaurin across the middle, right in a gap between mm-hmm. three guys. On the move, he caught it in stride and kept going. It was like Dwayne, he never hesitated. He got it out of his hand. It had zip. It was just, it was like, that's it. And it's like, I I just think, and I think he will take set. He didn't have to do it against Oregon State. I don't even know. I mean, I don't, did he even, did he, did he make a second read? It was like the first read was open. <laughs> the first guy spoke open most of the time. So like when the first guy is open all the time, it's easy to look like authoritative and like you're getting the ball out of your yeah. hand. But I also think that's what he is. He did have a pass to Mac. On a on a on a route over the middle that he threw quick, it was a little high, but Mac had in, inside position on the guy and went up and got it, and it was like Austin Mac wasn't wide open, but it felt like Haskins was like, okay, that's the read, open enough, here we go, mm-hmm. and it was like I don't know that JT would have thrown that ball. I don't, yep. Now JT would have thrown the one to McLaurin probably, he was wide open, but also Dwayne, Perfect. but Dwayne I think threw it a half second faster. It's rhythm. It's he's such a rhythm passer. I think it's his inclination that I think he's going to give more guys shots on initial reads when it's in the flow, and guys are going to end up having a better shot at it because they're open enough. Let's try it. Mm-hmm. And every now and then, a corner's going to make a play or a safety's going to read something and duck in front. But I think overall, that rhythm is going to be good for the offense. And I think to George's question, it's going to lead to no favorite receiver. Because it's yeah, we'll just see. what's there. Yeah, I, I at least off the first game, I agree. I, I don't think he's playing favorites, and I don't think he will. Jian Wu, our guy, we've talked about this a little bit at two underscore four underscore Wu. We scored seventy-seven and the sixteen opener as well, just to find out later that the offense lied to us. What are the chances that this year's offense struggles later against better opponents? Like we've discussed that a little bit, but contextualize this a little bit, Bill. We know. It's not going to be that easy, that many points every week. But do you do you really expect is like is that the framework? Is this is this off? What and are that? What are the chances that this offense is lying to us? Pretty low, I think. Um, And it's not. I think it's just the it's the throws that Dwayne's able to make that just JT weren't like, and it's the stuff you highlighted in your story that intermediate passing game has just been totally absent from Ohio State's offense. It's been a lot of short stuff, a lot of bubbles, um, and then like taking shots downfield inconsistently, and it's just more diversified. I just think they're going to be able to do more. So, um, I think it's okay to worry about it because it's 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 played out. I think more than one season, like what we see at the beginning is not necessarily what the real deal is. And it's a product of the competition. They're not going to score 77 every week. That's ridiculous. But like that same team that scored 77 against Bowling Green, like put up 45 on Oklahoma. And I think there was, one, there was at least one defensive score in that game. Maybe there were two. But even still, that's you know 30 points against Oklahoma. It was decent that year. They had a 40-point game, a couple 50-point games. Like it's It's harder when you play good teams. They scored 30 on the road at Wisconsin and won in overtime. Like... The offense is bad, really bad. When they played Clemson, they couldn't score a point, and there were clear deficiencies. But um, I don't, I don't, I think, I think I might disagree with the characterization that like we were lied to by the offense. 
wasn't as good as, as maybe we anticipated it would be. But I, I just think this offense can do more than that offense. Can. And even next last year, when Day was here and we were mesh routing ourselves into uh, ecstasy, yeah. you know that that chunk of the schedule, six games in the middle of the year, where it looked like they were doing stuff. And I thought, yeah. I thought like, yeah, yeah, like this is this is coming a little bit. And then, um, you know, then Iowa happened. But then, you know, like they looked bad against Penn State early on, and then JT when he was, was back really against the wall. You know, I, I, the, the thing that I think, I mean, they had that terrible day. Josh Jackson made JT's life miserable, and JT had, I think, it was the worst game of his life against Iowa. Mm-hmm. Just something was off that day. Um, but they did it. Their offense looked better than USC's offense in the Cotton Bowl, and Sam Darnold was a third pick in the draft. You know, and that's because the defensive line was in Nick, Sam Darnold's face. But, you know, like, the offense did look pretty good for a lot of stretches last year. You know, I mean, when they lost those games, it's because Baker Mayfield sliced them up and Nate Stanley sliced them up and and JT had a really bad day against Iowa, but it wasn't... It did have a great day against Oklahoma. It, it wasn't consistently awful... All the time, right? And then, like, like when they got – what I'm trying to say is I love the Penn State game because we always talked about, like, desperate JT. Two-minute drill JT, fourth down JT, down late in the game JT. Not thinking as much JT. Get it and throw it. And when – like, that – basically what we're talking about was rhythm JT. Yeah. Was not thinking too much. And I feel like that's what Haskins is naturally all the time. Yeah. All the time. So I think the difference between two-minute drill, fourth-quarter JT, and regular Haskins is not that different. I think the difference between regular Haskins and regular JT, JT just was reluctant to let it go, fearful of getting picked, and not as confident in himself. And I just don't think Haskins cares. Now, come back to me when he plays a great defense and he's double-pumping. We'll I see. don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen either. Like we, we, and that's the, that's the thing about the Michigan game. It's like, it's the rivalry, and that obviously adds a lot to it. And he played really well. That was a top three defense in the country that he was playing against, and he wasn't hesitant and didn't look rattled at all. And he was on the road, so I think you're allowed to feel pretty confident that he's going to be that same way when they play TCU and at Penn State. You know what's fun about the football season? So, like, fantasy football is fun. Gambling is fun. But I think one of my favorite things is gambling for free. Mm. Gambling where you don't lose money. And Minuteman Tickets is going to let you do that this year. Minuteman Tickets, they're our ticket guys. Make them your ticket guys. They have a great selection of stuff for all Ohio State games. Check them out concerts, tickets you need in Ohio or around the country, especially in Ohio, though. You can rely on them for great tickets and great customer service and great customer service like this. They're starting a weekly football pick'em competition. Okay, it's underway. It's called the Minuteman Pick'em. It's free to enter NFL and college football. You pick 10 games a week. If you place in the top 10 in that week of everybody who picked, you get a point. So you add up points over the course of a year, okay? You can win prizes for weekly winning, right? But you really want to do it week after week because at the end of the year, 
The grand prize is a pair of tickets to see the Big Ten Championship game. So you can be a weekly winner. Those are chosen. You get gift cards, autographed items, apparel. You really want to target the Big Ten Championship game tickets. So you've got to do it every week. Go to MinuteManPick'em.com. That's MinuteManPick'em.com. Our ticket guys doing this cool pick'em competition to see if you can get yourself to Indianapolis. We think Ohio State has a good chance to be there. But regardless, I went to the Big Ten Championship game the year when it was Penn State and Wisconsin. That was a great game. So yeah. get there. Let Minuteman tickets get you to that game for, for free. Go to MinutemanPick'em.com. So this just happened. Tim just put the story up. This Let's just give a reset of this Kane Patterson situation for people. Yes, well, Kane Patterson, four-star linebacker from Nashville, um, just at, just at the edge of the top 200, but still a, pr- a pretty, pretty highly touted prospect, commits to Ohio State on July 9th. Then just before his first high school game, you know, where it started to surface that he decommitted, we were able to confirm, our own Bill Landis was able to confirm that for us through a source that uh, Patterson had, in fact, decommitted. And the interesting about thing about that, that came a couple weeks after he got a Clemson offer. And it, and shortly at 1 o'clock on Tuesday, you're listening to this, obviously, on Wednesday, so you've all probably already read the little thing I wrote about this. Kane Patterson commits to Clemson, claim, saying in his note that, this is a direct quote from his note, he says, quote, when I said my so- when I said my sophomore year that Clemson was my first choice, I had no idea the journey I was going to take to get there. So basically, he's Miss Clemson was probably like his dream school. Um, got the yeah. off. even though like part looked on his, his profile, his father actually played at Alabama. This was always on the table, even if he had remained committed to Ohio State. A, a flip to Clemson was was out there, and then he got the offer. So it's not it happened under the umbrella of all the Urban Meyer stuff, and I think that had a hand in it too. Um, there was a lot of assumption he was going to end up at Clemson anyway. And now Clemson has 24 commits already in its class. It's pretty much already full compared to Ohio State, which right now it just has 14. Clemson has 24 already? Mm. Yep. Yes. They basically finished up the recruiting essentially before they even played their second game, whereas I'm going to look at the rankings right now because I find this very interesting when I look at this. Ohio State's ranked number 12 right now. Of the top 15 teams, they have the fewest commits of anybody. Texas and Penn State both have 15, but everybody else is, like, between 17 and 25. Really? Yeah, so Ohio State, obviously, you know, the stuff that happened with Urban Meyer kind of put recruiting on pause. They really haven't, they've really just had to go into stabilized mode rather than going out and getting other guys. That's why there just hasn't been a lot of traffic in that direction until they got Urban figured out. He's coming, he's obviously back as the head coach. For all but the next two Saturdays, so he can really, you know, try and get try and regain some momentum as it goes down the stretch in this recruiting cycle. I got a question. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. From Bush League, just saying, which is a uh, I don't know what that means. It's uh, at Stewart underscore E four US Vet. Hey, how about that US Vet? Awesome. Thank you, Bush League, for being a veteran. Do we see Ohio State burn more red shirts so we don't keep fifth-year players around to occupy scholarships? A lot of these young men seem to want early playing time. So I, I went off on a tangent two months ago and talked about red shirts for 45 minutes. We've now seen it in action. This question from Stuart E4 US Vet is actually 
sort of a twist the other direction on the red shirt issue at hand. The issue at hand is that you can now play four games. This is a new rule for this season. You can play four games and it doesn't count as a year. So it doesn't burn your red shirt, which increases the chances of you staying for five years, even though you get to play in year one. Yep. Stewart is suggesting the idea of should they play more guys so they aren't around in year five. So the deal with in general at great programs is, A, if a guy is back for year five, if he's really good, he's not going to be here five years. And if he is back for year five, you maybe don't want him because there's somebody better here. Now, last year's Ohio State team like is goes against that because JT Barrett was a fifth-year guy. Billy Price was a fifth-year guy. Tyquan Lewis was a fifth-year guy. They had a bunch of fifth-year guys last year that they were very excited to have, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't usually happen. So it's I, w- I want you guys to discuss this. It's two questions in one. Just assess. We'll run, we'll run through again the freshmen that played on Monday, and then we'll talk about are we going to see more freshmen play because of this rule and they can play for and not use up a year of eligibility? And then the idea of, you know what, who cares if they use up the eligibility? Play them anyway because you don't want a bunch of fifth-year guys around because they're not helping you that much. Like, is that is that a twist on this? That's always been in play, I think. But it, it just yeah. – this is – it's an interesting – it's actually – it's not that interesting. It's not 45 minutes interesting, which is what I made us do two months ago. And I think that almost made us like a three-star cumulative podcast where people are like, dear God, don't talk about red shirts for 45 minutes. So do talking things now. All right. Well, here's the list of all the true freshmen that played – Antoine Jackson also played, but obviously he's not a red, he's not a freshman, and he's already had his red shirt. So I don't. This definitely doesn't apply to him. But here's who played: Cameron Brown, Tyler Friday, Dallas Gant, Javante Jean Baptiste, Taraja Mitchell, Chris Olave, Nicholas Petit Frere, Kayvon Pope, Josh Proctor, Jeremy Rucker, Tyreek Smith, who we wrote about, and we had, we did a Buckwise video, which you can check out on Cleveland.com. Bill and I did that for Tuesday morning. Brian Sneed, Master Teague, Tommy Togiai, Teron Vincent, and Alex Williams. So those are all the guys that played on Saturday against Oregon State. I can't imagine they're going to play that many guys every Saturday, especially in the big games. You may in the bigger games you maybe only see a handful. But to answer that question, I, I don't know if I burn red shirts for the sake of burning red shirts like that. That just seemed kind of reckless because if you think about it. Like you're gonna play your best guys right away, anyways, and in three years, if they're your best guys in three years, they're gone. The best players don't always stick around for five seasons. It's you're the three or four, and they're gone. I feel like you're contradicting yourself. Yeah, you said oh. you don't want to recklessly burn red shirts. Well, I mean, like, so, but you do want to recklessly burn them because who cares if they're around for five years? Well, I mean, if you if it, like if a guy's a really good player, he's gonna leave in three years, no matter what. So, do you want guys to redshirt or not? Um, I'm like, I'm really struggling with this. Come back to me. So my point is this, and I think I wrote this last year, two years ago. Nobody should redshirt. Yeah, burn them. Nobody at Ohio State should redshirt. Play them all. If someone gets hurt and they need to redshirt for physical reasons, okay. Then that's a very good thing to have on hand. They should have never not played guys they wanted to play for reasons of redshirting already. That was a whole thing with Sam Hubbard. Sam Hubbard, they 
talked for two months. Oh, we should play him. They didn't play him. They redshirted him. Sam Hubbard left after four years. And all the redshirt did was prevent Sam Hubbard from getting to go through senior day. Sam Hubbard was too good. Sam Hubbard was too good to be here. So why redshirt him? And that's what everybody is. Everybody is too good. Yeah. So, like, I don't think the redshirt thing is a big deal. Like, there was a lot of, like, I don't know. The only thing you, it the might, rule, you don't think the new rules are a big deal? I don't think the new rules are a big deal because the only thing it might do is, like, get them to, like, play guys that they should have been already doing it. But I don't know that there's going to be, I don't know what the situation is going to be. That the end result is going to be, oh, look. Here's a guy who's now in his fifth year because he got to play four games as a freshman, and without the new rule, he wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? Yeah, but what about the idea of, like, um, normal redshirt rules? Maybe, like, um, I don't know. Who wouldn't have played? Maybe, like, one of the two running backs wouldn't have played. Like They played both Master Teague and Brian Sneed against Oregon State. And last year, if they did that, then that's a burned year for both those guys. This new rule allows you to play them without penalty for four games. But if you play both of them and you think, like, you know what, they look pretty good, let's just play them. And if we play them six games, you play them six games, and it's okay. Like, your eyes are opened more to the idea that, like, they're not going to be around for five years because you're allowed to play them for four games. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, if, if they, so the end result might be that, like, if this rule is in place, they might have played Sam Hubbard. Yeah, and then realize that Sam Hubbard should be playing like as a matter of course and not just because you can play it for four games. And the interesting thing is like Michigan for instance doesn't redshirt guys like while they're at Michigan. Like when they have senior day they they always count like everybody who's in their fourth year as a senior. When you're talking about their roster, they're like, "Oh, we have we have 35 seniors." And it's like, well, they don't really have 35 seniors. They have some fifth-year guys. They have some fourth-year guys who are playing their fourth year of eligibility. And they have some fourth-year guys who are only playing their third year. But they haven't really classified them as having redshirted yet because, like, whatever. And it always kind of throws it off. But then those guys can be counted as seniors on senior day if they want to. Anyway, that's too much in the weeds. I just don't think... I don't. I don't think it matters. And I guess if the deal is it got Brian Sneed and Master Teague in the game in Week One when it wouldn't have before, then good. Yeah. Good for the kid. There might be an effect on a couple on a couple kids like that. Like effect on the program. I don't think there is any. I don't think there is either. Let them play. For real. So that's where you're at. Let them. You want to burn them. Yeah. I mean, if they're if they're gonna leave, they're gonna leave. They're gonna. They're gonna transfer. The only positions I'd be more inclined to be willing to take the red shirts. Offensive linemen, because they need yeah. they need that year to get stronger. Quarterbacks, in some cases, if you know for a fact they're like third or fourth string, give them the air. Everybody else, but no, I, I think I, quarterbacks like you don't. I don't think you want to stockpile like that. I think you want to play them. I'm, they, I'm more they've in, redshirted everybody. I'm more inclined to burn a, red, a quarterback's redshirt yeah. just so that like you don't have what you had this past year. Like, I, and I don't know, maybe, I don't know if things would have worked differently had Joe Burrow not redshirted and like Dwayne Haskins not redshirted, who knows? Or Tate Martell not redshirted last year. But I just think you want to get the clock rolling at that position in particular. I, I, I really, th- I do think the only impact on the program is like if you were screwing it up before, mm-hmm. which sometimes I think Ohio State was. Oh. We got, uh, we got 10 minutes until Ryan Day is on the uh, coach's call. All right. Let, let me, uh, Jay Alexander, this is an interesting question. This is an off-topic one. Just a little personal. Mm. 
Jay Alexander's at Midwest KY Mind. Midwest the KY Mind. I don't know what it is. We obviously know you all don't root for Ohio State, but what sports and sports teams are you fans of? NFL, NHL, MLB, etc. Do you root for your college teams, aside from Tim, since he went to Ohio State, or enjoy college football away from the job? Who are Doug, Bill, and Tim as sports fans? Interesting. Mm. Uh, I do not root for my college team, and I've been very hesitant to say what college I've gone to. I well, which to. is unfortunate. <laughs> Some people know. Because, and it's easy enough to figure out. I mean, a lot of people... I mean, a lot of people root for their alma mater in sports. Of course they do. That's kind of the deal. Yeah. But but I think it's also unfair to make an assumption that if you went to a college, then, like, you obviously are, like, biased toward them. Yeah. Because I don't, like, we, cannot, we can't live in a world where, like, the only people who can cover a college team are people who went to that college. Yeah. Even though, know, even though the 90, there's a lot of that. 98% of the Ohio State went to Ohio State. So I went to Northwestern, and I don't know anything about Northwestern football, and I don't really care about Northwestern football. Yeah. Like, people tease you and say, oh, this, and it's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess if given the choice, I'd rather they win than not win, but I don't really care. There's a lot of Northwestern sports writers. There's a lot of Northwestern sports writers who get very wound up about it. When Northwestern was good, when were they good? Oh, when Northwestern made the NCAA tournament for the very first time, I thought it was a freaking embarrassment. <laughs> Mike Greenberg and Mike Wilbon and like all these Northwestern people and making it about them. I and I've now I'm on a rant. Okay. We're gonna do a ten minute rant till Ryan Day. All right. <laughs> the main thing that my takeaway is is nobody cares where you went to college. You either went to college or you didn't go to college. It's fine either way. But people who are obsessed, like, well, my alma mater, nobody cares. You cover the team you cover. The only reason that any of you care about us is because we cover Ohio State. Now, sometimes we take some liberties and we talk about poutine and robots and we give you little glimpses of our personality. But we don't ever lose sight of the fact that you are not listening to this podcast because of Bill, Tim, and Doug. If Bill, Tim, and Doug were talking about how to make a kite, and this was the How to Make a Kite podcast, and it was the three of us also making robot and poutine jokes, nobody would listen. If this was three completely different people working for Cleveland.com talking about Ohio State, you would listen. You care about the subject, and then you care about the people who are paid to write and talk about the subject you care about. You don't care where we went to college. I hate sports writers talking about their alma mater. And frankly, I also hate sports writers talking about which teams they like. This very question. Because if you're following me for Ohio State reasons, you don't care if I like the Dodgers. You don't care if I like the Carolina Hurricanes. And I'm going to tweet, hey, Hurricanes power play looks great. You don't care. You don't care. And sports writers, for some reason, sports writers get followed on Twitter because of who they cover. And when you inject your fandom of other random teams, nobody cares. Now, Landis will tweet every now and then about the birds. Yeah, You're allowed not, to tweet at some, yeah. but I've also, to some degree, expressed this concern. <laughs> 
and beating it out of people <laughs> that like I'm not particularly interested, especially like when it's not a Cleveland. Like, yeah. hey, I'm from I'm from Texas. Oh, let me tweet about the Houston Texans secondary. I don't nobody cares. Shut up. I don't tweet. I definitely tweet about Philly sports teams sometimes, but when I do, it's a, it's usually a joke. I'm never like, oh man, I can't believe Carson Wentz didn't convert that third down because I don't care. Um, but I do make. I'm, I've made a joke or two about the process. Yeah, that's Twitter, a lot. It's okay. It's self aware. About Villanova not being in Philadelphia. It's self aware, which it's, is like important geographical information that people should have. That's just geography. Yeah. You're always allowed to tweet about geography. Yeah. But also, I also think sports writers on Twitter. Embarrass themselves by behaving as fans sometimes because I think, I, I, I think I worry too much about this, but I I think it it hurts your credibility a little bit when you do stuff like that. Yeah, maybe it's not, wrong. Not that we can't be fans, but you are a sports journalist. When you're on Twitter, especially, you're always a sports journalist, and when you're like going bonkers about a penalty call. Or you're screaming about the coach of the UT, the team that you like that no one else cares about. I can't believe the Falcons' defensive coordinator called a blitz on third down. A freaking joke! That guy should be fired. I don't think that makes you look good. Yeah. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you want sports writers who are tweeting like maniacal fans of other teams. I can't do it. I can't do it because you know what there are? There are a million fans in the world. Thank God there are. That's why we have jobs. There are fewer sports writers than fans. So I think if you want to follow fans, go follow fans. That's great. You're following us because of the team we cover. And so, you know what? We were all sports fans at one point. That's why we got into sports. I'm less of a fan now than I used to be because I do it for my job. I'm much more interested in going to watch a movie. Or going to do something not related to sports in my free time. I'm not going to sit around and watch like the Kings and the Denver Nuggets play basketball. That's just me. Oh. Like I'm yeah. not – I'm not – I don't involve myself in sports if I'm not getting paid for it all that much. I'm actually more inclined – like cause I, I grew up a Philly fan, a Philly sports fan, and like just kind of lost it because I haven't lived in Philadelphia in like, I don't know, 12 years. Um, well, I'm old. Uh I do find myself casually watching random games more now because I still like sports. I don't need to have a rooting interest to watch them anymore. So I will watch like the Cavs or not the Cavs. Maybe that's a bad example. I'll watch the Nuggets play the Raptors on a random night or I'll watch the Carolina Hurricanes play the Nashville Predators just because I like watching sports. But I don't, but I don't care who wins. I'm too far behind in my Netflix queue to watch the, I mean, if I'm being honest, I might sit down to watch a Raptors Nuggets game, but then just put on like season three of the office. And watch that instead. Yeah. So I like the Phillies. I like baseball the most growing up, and I grew up in Pennsylvania. I like the Phillies, but also I covered the Phillies. And then it's like I covered the Phillies, and I was like around the Phillies players, and I was like, I don't like these people. <laughs> that beat the fandom out of me. It's like I just went down and interviewed like Travis Lee. What's this guy who like was yeah. this this guy who just like loved? He wore one batting glove. Yeah. A weirdo. Who just seemed like a pro athlete who just did it for the money and didn't care. And it's like I interviewed Travis Lee enough times to be like, yeah, I don't like these guys anymore. Um, Tim, now that I've expressed my disdain for all sports writers as sports fans, who are your favorite teams, Tim? Well, based on your rant, I can tell what you thought about my super – what I thought were my super generic World Cup tweets. I uh, turned off Twitter notifications because of your super generic World Cup tweets. I have absolutely unfollowed sports writers that I'm interested in their professional opinions about teams they cover. If they start tweeting as fans about other teams, I'm out. 
All right. But go ahead. Well, I'm not telling you, Tim. Here's the thing about my rants. I'm not necessarily here to tell people how to live their lives. Okay? Right. People may live their lives however they choose to live. I'm just telling you how I live my life and how how you choose to live your life probably is wrong in my eyes. But I'm not telling you to stop. So what teams do you like? Well, I mean, I grew up in Cleveland, so obviously the Cleveland teams are the big ones. Um, soccer is Liverpool, and I think there maybe there's an exception to soccer because, like, to an extent, I get 100% of what you're saying because when you follow certain people, you figure out who they root for. For example, Tom Reed is a Liverpool supporter. Um, Mark Stein, who writes now for, I believe, the Washington Post, I believe, or the New York Times, or I forget which one, he's a Manchester City guy. Like, you find, like, so- it's probably different for soccer because it's a di- it's like thousands of miles away and none of us will ever cover it again. And in some cases, like myself, I'll probably never go to a professional soccer match that actually counts. So, I mean, there's exceptions to that, I think. Um, but... It's mostly just been the homegrown teens. It's all I've really known. I, similar to Bill, I mean, it's just where I grew up. And after college, I moved back up there. Um, like, I got, I went to the World Series in 1997, the Indians game five of that series. Nice. Um, I bought me, me and my fiance went to game four, I believe, the 2015 conference finals when they swept the Hawks and everybody started chanting Del Vadova's name, which I thought was one of the most interesting interesting experiences of my life. Nice. Was Joe Burrow there chanting Matthew Delavadova's name? Um, I don't know if Joe Burrow had, like, I'm sure, I think he was in high school, so he probably still could have gotten the money to, yeah. like, pay for Cavs tickets, or did he enroll early? I don't know. Well, whatever. I mean, the point is, you know, it's just kind of where I grew up from. I'll still watch them. Like, I still flip on an Indians game if I'm working or whatever, just because, like, it's something to kind of just have on in the background, but more and more, I think I've just started to watch like different shows on Netflix or Amazon Prime. I will say, I just, I think, and it's why I also don't like sports writers who tweet about politics because there are experts in everything. There are experts on politics. There are experts on every sports team. And there are also fans and outside observers. And I think it is disingenuous when you hook people in and get them to follow you based on the promise of your expertise about a certain subject. And then you beat them over the head with rantings of a fan or political opinions and things in which you don't have expertise. And it's not about which, which, what you like or which side of the political spectrum you're on. It's that nobody cares what you think. There are a million political experts out there. You, sports writer X, are not one of them. So if you feel like you have such an opinion, you need to stand up and make the world a better place by tweeting about politics to a bunch of people who only follow you because you cover Ohio State football. I think you are doing a bait and switch on your Twitter followers. If I was your follower, I would not follow you anymore. And I would go follow people who give me expertise that I'm looking for without random opinions I don't care about. And that's my story about being a sports fan. But to go back to the beginning, I'm sure there there's that handful of podcast listeners who would listen to us talk about how to make a kite. I don't know. The thing that I don't know about the kite is how do you make the wood be light enough, right? I think there's like – you can get like balsa wood at Home Depot. And now we're going off into bizarro tangent. Let's, also, let's if we're going to do a, a kite a kite-making podcast, it's not going to be out of a kit. I'm not interested in I bought a kite kit and here it is. I'm talking about – 
a natural, a, a kite from nature. You go out, you gather your own wood, you get like a, 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 a light but strong um, fibrous material to serve as the material to catch the wind. You get your own, like you get your own little string, right? I don't know what that would be. Maybe you unwind your shirt and make that the string. I'm not interested in a podcast about kites from a kit. That's 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 cheating. So you're talking like Survivor Man. If Survivor yes. Man had to make a kite in some weird reason to survive, Drizzy, get busy. Oh one, our guy. Can you get this? The bot. Wait, I have a box score here. I want the box score. Give me the box. What's the box score? Give me the box score from Saturday. Here's the box score. I I had mine in my apartment because I just finished up my first Dwayne Haskins chart of the season. So the question is: Were you surprised by the lack of touches for Paris Campbell? Touches on Saturday: rece- receptions, KJ Hill six, Austin Mack five, Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell four each. Those are your your main dudes. Johnny Dixon only had one. Um, Paris Campbell in the run game. Paris Campbell actually had that one, had the touchdown off a jet sweep, as Tim wrote about, but that was technically a pass. So he did not technically have a carry, but his touchdown and one of his receptions was basically a carry. Um, They ran 87 offensive plays, 721 total yards. I guess I would say in a world where the tailbacks got a combined 35, and they threw 30 passes. The idea that Paris Campbell touched it four times, I think, is a little surprising to me because I think I separate Paris Campbell a little bit from the rest of the receivers because he's not just a receiver. He's an H-back. They can find ways to get him the ball to say, listen, we've got to get Paris the ball. We can call a screen. We can throw some other short pass. We can bring him in motion. We can get him in the backfield. We can do things to get him the ball when we feel like we need to have the ball in Paris's Campbell in Paris Campbell's hand. As much as we've talked to him about the Weber and Dobbins distribution of carries, should Paris Campbell, whether it's technically a run or not, but should Paris Campbell be thought of any differently in the offensive game plan than the other receivers? Or is he just, you know what? We have six or seven receivers who are going to play. We just talked about how Dwayne Haskins is going to throw the ball to the guy who's open. If Paris is open and he gets it, if he's not, some other guy gets it. Or does Paris Campbell, as a speedster and a veteran, deserve more consideration? I think he deserves more consideration. Maybe it was just the opponent and just the fact that, like, against Oregon State, you're not going to unleash Paris Campbell as much as you would like to against Penn State, TCU, Michigan State, Michigan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And when I did my predictions on Friday, I said that I would – I, I wrote when I talked about Paris Campbell and Austin Mack, how they should combine for 12 touchdowns, that I have them as 1A, 1B in my receiving core, and then everybody else is kind of fighting for third place. Because we know about the connection between Haskins and Mack. That's under that's understood. Paris Campbell is the one guy in this offense who could take a one-yard t- one yard screen pass to turn into 50 yards. We've seen that countless times. And he's a, he's that one guy in this group of receivers that anytime you get in the football, he's got a threat to go the distance. And I guess a good team, you want to maximize that. So, I mean, eight touches, I think, eight to nine touches against a really good team would be my, my target for Paris. And if he does, if he doesn't score on it, those, any of those touches and just only gets a meager amount of carries, meager amount of touches, excuse me, so be it. It's, it's giving your guy a chance to make things happen. And they're not always going to have it going every game. Sometimes it's going to be a different guy. You just hope that when you get Paris Campbell enough opportunities, he'll turn one of them into a big play. 
I'm going to bring in another question from Doug DeLillo that I think we're, we're going to smush these two questions together. His question is, how do you expect the offense to change, if at all, when Urban Meyer returns from, returns from suspension? So uh, I'm going to assume um, we're talking about now with, with Urban in the building all week, and then also once he gets back on the sideline. Again, you guys probably know this, Urban Meyer is back. He's coaching the team during the week. He's the head coach during the week. He still is suspended for two more game days. So he's in on the offensive game planning. He's in on everything. And then Ryan Day and Greg Schiano and Kevin Wilson and Alex Grinch and the staff will execute that vision on game days. Here's where I think it's interesting. I think there's two things at play here as it relates to someone like Paris Campbell. Tim, we've heard Urban Meyer say this before. One of the things that Urban Meyer does is he's the coach I was going to say he's the touches coach. That sounds weird. He's like the guy who makes sure the playmakers get the ball. That's always one of the things that he talks about. He maybe has a little list or whatever, like, hey, let's make sure our most explosive guys are involved. So I think that makes sense. Do you think that makes sense? Yes. Now, the second part of that is we just talked about how Dwayne Haskins doesn't seem to have a favorite receiver, at least against Oregon State. He's a rhythm passer. He took what was there. Now, you can also, in the plays you call, there's a first read. You can decide who that first read is. Maybe that's how you can decide who some of the touches are going to go to. There's been the suggestion at times in the past that Urban Meyer can get can get his hands in there and maybe not let the offensive coordinators just roll. Something went wrong in 15 and 16. The, the, the Meyer, Warren, or Beck trio didn't work. I think there's. I think the, the Meyer-Wilson-Day trio worked better last year. I think there's reason to have even more optimism for this year. The idea of let's make sure certain guys get touches, is that contrary to what we saw with Dwayne Haskins? Just make the read and throw to the guy who's open. And the idea of let Ryan Day run with this a little bit. If Ryan Day is your game day play caller... Let him roll with it. I believe that part of the smoothness and continuity and they got plays in quick, all the good things of the offense, I think part of that was having a voice removed. No Urban Meyer, so it's just Day and Wilson. Day can take Kevin Wilson's input, but Day's making the final call. There's no veto. There's no head coach above him suggesting things. Yeah, Could, could it get clunked up by Urban Meyer coming back and saying – Again, combining the questions, Urban Meyer says, hey, make sure we get it to Paris enough. Now Ryan Day isn't just kind of doing his thing. Could that clunk it up? Yeah, I mean, it's it goes back to the phrase I'm sure you guys used a bunch in 15 and 16, too many cooks in the kitchen. And, I mean, granted, obviously, Beck and Warner were nowhere near the kind of guys who could structure an offense like Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day have. But what Ryan Day showed on Saturday is he knows what he's doing as a play caller. There's a reason he's getting paid a million dollars to run this offense how he wants to run how he wants to run it. Part of that probably because, you know, teams called and wanted him and he's like, I'll come back for more money and Ohio State basically said okay. So I think if you're Urban Might I know he's gonna want to do things a certain way. That's it's a head coach, you're entitled to do that. You're entitled to do that because you, that it's your football team. You run it how you feel you want it to run. Doesn't mean it's the right way to do that to do it, obviously. And the idea of the arbitrary list is I mean, while I while I agree you want to give certain guys certain touches, the idea of having a strict list you want to, stri- to stick to 
can be very problematic because what if those guys aren't producing? What if you, your top guys just aren't getting the job done, then all of a sudden you throw a 70-yard touchdown to Johnny Dixon and he get, breaks another reception for 30 yards and you don't get the ball to him because K.J. Hill needs five more carries or five more catches and Paris Campbell hasn't gotten the ball, only gotten the ball twice. What do you do in that situation? You, In some ways, you have to be fluid, trust the hot hand out there, and I think that's what Saturday was. You had to be, as an offensive coordinator and someone who runs an offense, you have to be willing to roll with the punches. I'm very curious. I don't think it's going to change much. I think maybe I'm making too big of a deal of like Urban Meyer's not there and it being smooth with Ryan Day. I think I think that's true in terms of like getting plays in. Um, I don't know it, it. I don't know that it really affects much in, in terms of what the plays are that are called. Um, I'll, I don't think it's going to change much. But I, I do think it's reasonable within there. I, and I think Paris might be the only one. Because Dobbins and Weber are going to have their rotation, and that's going to work out. And then I think a lot of the other receivers are kind of in the same boat. I think it's okay to make sure you give Paris Campbell a couple times a game to take something short and have a shot at making it big. And I think I think four catches, one of which is basically a run, in a, in a game plan that had 87 plays, I think that's not enough. And I know some, they had some backup guys in later, too. I just, I think of anybody on this roster, Paris Campbell is the one guy that I would make allowances for and, and to make sure you don't get to the end of the game and say, oh, man, I wish he had gotten it more. Yeah, and you got ways to get him the football. You can give it to him on those jet sweep pop passes, bubble screens, slants, mesh routes. There's combinations, ways to get him the football. So it's not like you have one way to give it to him. You have a multitude of options with which to deliver 21 the football and give him a chance to operate in space. Great point, Tim. Bill Landis briefly gone. Ryan Day, say anything of note? He was asked like nine defense questions. What are we doing? People don't understand how it works. Oh, he's the offensive coordinator, and he had a terrible phone connection. Uh, all right. Harrison Shack. Was Chase Young really that good, or was Oregon State's offensive line just that bad? Yes. I, I will say one thing. There's a, there's a play... That people have, they've run this highlight a lot of, of Nick Bosa and Chase Young meeting at the quarterback. Bosa got credit for the sack. I think Chase Young didn't get credit for any sacks. He was like he right know. at the quarterback's foot a lot as other guys were getting credit for sacks. Did you see the one that they they put on Twitter <laughs> in slow motion where Draymond Jones just landed on top of him? Yeah. I felt bad for him. Yeah. Chase Young's like, hey, I'm going to get the quarterback. And Draymond Jones was like, no, I'm going to get the quarterback. <laughs> um, but there was a play where Nick Bosa just like, did had great technique with hand fighting the the left tackle and just like got by him in a second. And Chase Young, for whatever reason, in that in that protection scheme, the tackle let him go and they gave him to the back. And like the running back tried to block Chase Young, and I think there was maybe somebody inside a guard who was supposed to slide out, but he got there late and yep. never got a hand on him. And Chase Young just like ran through the running back and got to the quarterback at the same time as Bosa. And so like. That was like, and I know that happens sometimes, but it's like, well, yes, Chase Young beat the block of Oregon State's 131-pound running back on that play. So it amazes me sometimes when they wind up in situations trying to block ends with running backs. And I know I know what happens. It happened in the national title game in 2006 with Ohio State and Florida. It was like Alex Boone got a bunch of crap and half the protection calls had tight ends trying to deal with uh, – Derek Harvey and De- and uh, who was the other guy? 
Jarvis Moss. I can't remember his name. Um, that's not right. Jarvis Landry and Derek Moss? No, it, you're right. No, Jarvis Landry trades for the Browns. No, you're right. Derek, Derek Harvey. And Jarvis Moss. Yes. Okay. So my body Why do I has remember uh, 11 years, like, it, that game happened 10 and a half years ago. I still remember those two guys on that defensive line, and I was of, I was a senior in high school when that game was played. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I think it's possible. I'm leaving it open, the idea that, like, of course Nick Bosa and Chase Young are very good. They're not that good. Because I think Oregon State was, like, really bad. Oregon State, if uh, if there's anything they like about Oregon State, like, it might be their offensive line. They had four starters back. One of the guys at like the left tackle that Nick Bosa just made look silly is like a potential all Pac-12 guy. Maybe not a first-teamer, but he's decent. Um, so that offensive line wasn't horrible. But they made him look pretty bad. Yeah. Friendly neighborhood bunion man, what's your favorite extra topping on pancakes? I feel like over the course, we've been so serious. We've had so much of the Urban Meyer stuff and whatever. And, and we got some, we've gotten some criticism. For a grab ass. Mm-hmm. We've gotten away a little bit from the food talk. And I know people don't want to talk about robots every week. We do want to talk about food pretty much every week. And we haven't done it. I got a good food one too. As much lately. So I will tell you this. If a pancake is made right, it doesn't need a topping. There should be that. some inherent sweetness mm-hmm. in the pancake. And like IHOP, in my humble opinion... Blows yeah, it sucks. Because they 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 swamp it. It's too much. It's too much. Tastes good. Got to yeah. cover them in chocolate and fruit. But I don't want. I don't need that much whipped cream on it. So like, I don't want. I don't want my pancake to taste like from the Sunday topping bar. Yeah. And also, what time of day are you eating that? I don't want it for dinner. But I also, I just woke up. I don't want to shovel. A thousand grams of pure sugar in my mouth. Yep. So I think, I think, I think that's a good point. I think too much topping on a pancake is covering up for a poor pancake. And you know what they say? It's not the making of the pancake that gets you in trouble. It's the cover up. Yeah. <laughs> now, Tim, talk about how you love whipped cream and chocolate and candy bars and cupcakes on your pancake. Okay. Well. First off, the only the only thing I would ever put on a pancake is chocolate chips. I mean, I think there's a special place for that. Would you prefer them in the pancake or on the pancake? Because I think there's in. a different. Okay, that's fair. Are you in or on? I'll go in. I want. I want. Like, I love the pancakes as they are. I mean, I'm with you. There's nothing wrong with how pancakes made, especially you know if it's like. Like, what are your opinion on Bob Evans pancakes? Bob Evans pancakes. Do you have any opinions? I think they've uh, they've really gone downhill since Bob Evans lost his breakfast coach. Yeah, I think uh, is uh, are we suspended from talking about Bob Evans? I'm not sure where that stands. I don't think that suspension applies to us. But like, I think we can talk about Bob Evans on Saturday. But I think during the week we can only talk about McDonald's. But no, 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 it's the other way around. Yeah, we can yeah. talk about Bob Evans during the week, but on Saturday you can't eat there. Right, you have to go to McDonald's. Right. I I blew that joke. It's okay. <laughs> um well pancakes as they are, like I would have no issue. Are you looking, are you up, looking, pancakes? Are you looking no, up pancakes? No, I wasn't looking up pancakes. What I was looking up, <laughs> I might have mentioned this to one of you guys before. In Hawaii, in Honolulu, there is a place called Mac twenty four seven. It's it's like a bistro inside a ho- inside the Hilton Hotel in Waikiki that if you've ever watched the show Man vs. Food, there's an episode where he has to eat a giant stack of 14-inch pancakes with, like, all sorts of toppings on them. And, like, 
I'm on this website. We've gone a couple times, and these pancakes you need to split with like three or four people. Like they kind, they've like come out with a giant knife to cut them, and you almost cut them into like pizza, like slices the size of a pizza. Yeah, they're big. Oh, yeah, and the, they're very good too. Like they're good on their own. What but, are the toppings? Uh, there's a couple. There's a couple sets of toppings. Um, they are like blueberries. One of them, bananas, Foster. I'm going to butcher this, Hawaii kine, which is uh, pineapple, macadamia nuts, and halpia sauce. I have to ask uh, someone, I have to ask my sister-in-law who's native Hawaiian what halpia sauce is. I think that's the head coach of UCF, right? Yeah. Josh Halpia. Uh, Strawberries and cream. There's the Elvis bacon, banana, peanut butter drizzle. I'm in on that. Cinnamon streusel, which I've had before. It's really good. I'm also in on dying on the toilet. Mm. And then... uh, there's one with, like, all sorts of fresh fruits or whatever. Like, the pancakes itself are quality. I like I just brush over that one. Yeah. Like, the pancakes itself are quality. I would eat fruit on pancakes. All right, we're talking too much about pancakes. But the point is they're gigantic. They're good. Pancakes on their own are good, but sometimes it's never a bad thing to spice it up a little bit. Have we talked about how – I think we might have talked about this. The most important invention, compared to, like, 100 years ago, the most important invention is absolutely the toilet. Because don't you enjoy going to the bathroom? And can you where I do my best thinking? Yeah, you relax in there like it's a smoke break. If you don't smoke, the toilet is your smoke break. And the idea of like going to the bathroom and being like, I got to get out of here. I'm crapping into a hole in the ground. I'm surrounded by flies. I've spent so many good hours on the toilet. The idea of that being turned from a place of leisure and reflection into a horrible hellhole of horse flies and crap. Stacked four feet high. I want to die on the toilet. Where else would I want to die? Do you want a toilet rant? You know, there's like if there are places <laughs> you go that like aren't even necessarily like third world country. Like I know parts of China are, but I think like in Beijing, if you go to a public restroom, it's very possible you have to like, take your crap in a hole in the ground. Really? Yeah. Oh, now I I don't want to live in China anymore. That's now. why I refuse to go to Asia. And so, what's your rant? Here's my rant. You have a toilet rant? There's going to be... You've been saving it up. That felt like you were like, oh, finally. Oh, God. No, no, no. Okay, you mentioned Asia. In Japan, have you guys ever seen the Japanese toilets? They're have few... you been yeah. to Japan? No. I... The ones that, like, like, when you walk into the room, they open up and talk to you. They're like robot toilets. Yeah, they're like, have heated seats. They have bidets. They have all that kind of stuff. Why can't we get that in America? Why are we backwards on our toilet technology? I mean, wouldn't you guys want to see- sit on a heated toilet seat... No, I'm a grown man. No, that's too much now. That's too much. Also, I don't want a robot. I don't want to talk to me. I just want indoor plumbing. I don't need a robot talking to me. Now I'm freaked out. I don't want to die in a robot toilet. Now we're back at robot talk. (laughs) Nobody wants that. (laughs) Well, I thought you, but okay. No, I don't. No, I'm okay. I'm okay with where America is in our toilet technology. But I mean, it's 2018 and like... I mentioned this at McDonald's I when I complained about the Wi-Fi. It's like, it's 2018. We should have fast Wi-Fi everywhere. You know the McDonald's Wi-Fi is like 100 times faster, yeah. by the way? It flew through yesterday. That's fair. You should go to the new campus McDonald's. It's our second office. They redid it. It's very nice. Jordan Steele up to Jordan Steele. Did Sean Wade get any snaps in week one? It seems like he's been lost in the shuffle. You get a good Sean Wade answer. I did get a good Sean Wade answer. I didn't feel like I noticed Sean Wade in the rotation, but I asked about the three-man corner rotation if Greg Shiano was happy with it. Okuda, Sheffield, Arnett. And he said yes, but also Sean Wade got in. Marcus Williamson will play some. We might play even more guys. Uh, I, I'll, I'll say I might have just missed it. I did. Cert- I certainly did not feel like Sean Wade was in that group. I need to go back. 
Somebody looks some more. Somebody asked me when I did my mailbag, and I don't think I used the question. Somebody said that he didn't get in the game until the last three minutes. Okay, so I'll need to look. I mean, again, I think he was set back quite a bit by his injury last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just behind. I think it's very possible Sean Wade plays a very important role for this team down the line. Um, is Arnett a senior? No. I think Sean Wade will play a role. He's for a this fourth. Team. He's a fourth year guy. Fourth year junior. junior. Yeah. Sheffield, I think, is a good bet to probably go pro after this year. I think Sean Wade's in the rotation next year. I know they have other corners in the room. I, I wouldn't give up on Sean Wade, but I don't feel like he's really in the mix at the moment. Some Jordan Fuller questions, and we've sort of covered this. You know what? I don't think we need to cover it again. Um, Jordan Steele, I see your Jordan Fuller question. Oh, it's a Jordan question. I feel like you should do it. G. Nilly <coughs> really put a nail, got a sharp point on this. Is Jordan Fuller the most important player on the team now? And can Ohio State Ooh. beat TCU if he's not healthy? Again, all this discussion is who's your backup. It's not just about who you are. If you had to make a list of like who you don't want to lose, like I think Mike Jordan's in that conversation. I would. I, I think he might be the top of my list. Like Weber and Dobbins are both really important, but if you lost one, you just play the other. All mm-hmm. the there's some really good receivers on this team. If you lost one, you just play the other guys more. I think Dwayne Haskins might be there. I mean, I think Tate's good. I think Dwayne Hath. Like yeah. I don't think. I yeah, think yeah, if you yeah. want to be who you want to be, I think you wait Dwayne Haskins. But they rotate enough people other, other places, and we'll get to a linebacker rotation question. I just don't know how many people there are. We just said the corners. If you lose one corner, you still have two good ones. If you lost Nick Bosa, my God, that'd be awful. But you'd have Chase Young and Jonathan Cooper and Tyreek Smith and Jason Cornell. I think it'd be okay. I think Draymond's in that conversation. I think there's a pretty big gap between Draymond Jones and the next best tackle. I think you lose pass rush inside without Draymond Jones. because yeah, he's different than the other guys. So I think in terms of like who, which guys had the biggest gap, I think tackle. Actually, I think Thayer Munford might be there. I think Isaiah Prince is in that mix. But when you're talking about guys who are like, where's the biggest gap between an important starter and their backup? I think Fuller might be at the top of that list. I think Michael Jordan, Draymond Jones, and your two tackles are there too. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's easy to feel like it's Fuller because of what the problems were. Against Oregon State, um, I don't know if it's actually him. He's up. He's definitely up there, though. I would. I would go more quarterback and offensive line before him with the Fuller. I mean, based on what we saw Saturday, I mean, there's clearly a, there's a massive gulf between number one and number three as far as safeties go. I mean, going from Fuller to Justin, when we saw the problems there that Justin ha- had, particularly in run support. I don't, I don't think we know enough about Isaiah Pryor. We probably won't for a few weeks. We need to see how he kind of plays next to Jordan Fuller before I can get like a true assessment of him. And the one thing I think to just consider when we're talking about the safeties, and I don't think this is a huge point because Alex Grinch said it after the game, and he said it in the spring, and he said it multiple times, that they, they largely view the safety spots as interchangeable. But Isaiah Pryor had to play free safety because Jordan Fuller wasn't there, and I don't know how much Isaiah Pryor actually practiced that position. Because him and Wint were battling to play strong safety next to Fuller. So if you're feeling not great about Isaiah Pryor, just know that he was probably a little uncomfortable in the position he was playing because it wasn't one he had thought he'd be playing coming into the season. I don't know. We met, we mentioned East Carolina or something the other week. Tim uh, said something about everybody is hated by somebody, and I said nobody hates East Carolina. So John Potok at JP Porkchop sent us like three East Carolina questions this week. Nice. Go Pirates. Hashtag Pirate Talk. Which, by the way, when they say hashtag Pirate Talk, does that also mean Mike Leach Talk? No. This week, the Pirates of ECU ran 66 passing plays for 314 yards and 29 rushing plays for 80 yards. More balance or stick with the passing game for North Carolina this weekend? They lost to North Carolina A&T. For real? The Pirates? Uh-huh. Yes. 
Isn't that the school from uh, Drumline? No, that was, was Atlanta a and which yeah. is a made-up school, I believe. I was joking. All right, I got – I can't find the question. Somebody was asking about linebacker rotation. I apologize, I can't find it. I thought it was a good question I wanted to get to because, like, they said they were going to rotate linebackers, and watching that defense, they rotated defensive line a lot. I mean, Shiana said they think they played, like, 14 to 16 defensive linemen. They, I think he said they might have played all of them. They played the corners. They played the three corners. They didn't really rotate at safety because they were already playing their third safety. They didn't really put other guys in there um, until it was backup time. But they didn't really rotate at linebacker. Yeah, they, not they, a whole lot of Keandre they, Jones, right? Not they a, not they a were lot of really Booker. I I didn't see. I don't know if I saw. I mean, I don't know. So you, when you get really, really, really to the backups, maybe they were in there. But like Keandre Jones did not take a meaningful snap. That was Browning, Werner, and Harrison. That was their show all day. What does that mean? Does that show you anything? It's one of those things that's like, well, mm-hmm. those guys beat out more veteran guys. And then Shiano did mention it. I think he had a linebacker rotation question. He mentioned Keandre Jones, Justin Hilliard, Dante Booker getting more healthy. Those guys could be in the mix. They just were not really in the mix in week one. Yeah, I think Booker is still held back a little bit, like coming back. But he was on special teams. He was on the kick coverage team, wasn't he? Um I don't know. I, I, I think I think the goal is to rotate, but I also think part of the goal needs to be getting those starting guys ready because they're all new, or at least two of them are new. So um, I don't know if I read a whole lot into it now other than, like, Byron, Byron Browning and Pete Werner, like, just had to play a lot. And also, they weren't playing well, and I think it's good to leave them in there and, like, let them learn from their mistakes a little bit. Good questions. Do you have any? I, I have one more I want to end with. I have a food question. Oh, let's go with food question, then we'll do one more, and then we'll and we'll double check. Did we actually have any new other farts we needed to read in whole, or was it just the um, ECOP guy? Be careful guy? about the fart hole. Someone compare. Someone made fun of our ability as meteorologists. Um, what does that mean? Well, let me go back to it again. You know, you can leave reviews if you are on iTunes and you listen to us through iTunes. You can leave us, drop us a five star review, help us get back up to a Garrett Wilson instead of a Demario McCall. Um, rating. So here is from Cool in STL. Says greatest Buckeye podcast with two exclamations. Whoop. He says these guys give such a great in-depth perspective on all things Buckeye football. However, I'd give them zero stars for their meteorologist insights. Bill thinks a tornado sounds like a train whistle. Come on, Bill. Apparently, you've never heard of the Weather Channel. I don't even know what that means. Do you think? Well, don't, yeah, we were asking about what is say that, I've like. never seen a tornado. Don't people say tornadoes sound like trains? But that's what we were talking about. Is it a train whistle or is it chugga chugga? <laughs> I don't. Trains don't sound like Thomas the Tank Engine. I don't Someone know. also <laughs> made fun of me, like was didn't know about the chugga chugga. I don't, I still don't know. We'll have a meteorologist on. Yeah, that's something we need to do. I think that's our next project. Is you know instead of like. Insightful, instead of like college football experts, we're going to get someone from like the National Weather Service. I would definitely do that. Um, what's your What's your food question? There's a whole article on Slate. It says, how did people describe the sound of a tornado before the advent of trains? For real? <laughs> Many survivors of recent Oklahoma tornadoes compared the sound to a twister. Compared the sound of a twister to that of a train. But but what is? And again, what what sound of a train? Is it like just like like? Or, or the train horn was like... That's the whole thing we already had the conversation about. Is it the train whistle or the actual sound a train makes when it goes down a track? I'm pretty sure it's not the chugga-chugga-chugga. I've heard train whistle, train horn before. Something. Here's like. a quote from somebody who survived a tornado that said it was like a freight train coming out of a lion's mouth. But what does that... Like, what is that sound? 
Make the sound of a freight train. I don't know the sound of a freight train. Because obviously it's not chugging, chugging, it's not a whistle. Imagine a freight train coming out of a, li- a giant lion's mouth, and there you go. I'm going to punch somebody. You've heard a train before, right? Make the sound of a train. Here, can you, is there a train? Hey, Ohio State moved up in the people. Is there a train app? Train sound app? What does that sound like? We're not ending this podcast. We'll go three hours. We're at two. We'll go three hours until I hear someone make the sound of a train. Ohio State ranked ahead of Wisconsin now. Funny how that works. Funny how that people, works. Oh, people watch football and remember they were better. Well, people realized, oh, they're not like dead because their quarterback left because the quarterback behind them is better. I'm going to sound this year like I'm taking shots at JT Barrett, and I don't mean to. A lot, of, a lot of people are. It's just, I just think it's just, it's just a next level in the passing game. The best parts of JT were were more nuanced. I think the leadership stuff was maybe overdone at times because I don't think this team's lacking for leadership. I think they'll be fine. Um, I think sometimes, and we actually we had a, sort of that discussion, Bill. You and I had that talk the other day. Maybe we can get into that at some point. Yeah. Um, but like when the same guy's giving a speech all the time, that means other guys don't get to give speeches. And like, is that great? By the way, Paris Campbell gave a speech before the game against Oregon State. Yeah, I bet like, it was pretty good too. Um, so I just. Whew. Penn State fell to 13th. What are these people thinking? Sorry, I'm just reacting. You love App State. Um, Tim, do you have a train sound? I've been looking on YouTube. It's like I found a couple of videos, but just a bunch of people talking over stuff. Okay. What's the food question? Uh, it was a it was a question about convenience stores. If you said that, if you walk up to a hundred people on the street and say, "Make the sound of a train," they would go. They would like say, "Chugga chugga." Or they like, would say, "Chugga chugga." Yeah, but that's like you so say, "Make the sound of a car." They go beep beep. Like it's not what a car sounds like. Right. Something like that, that is that really is that's the discussion we're having. Yeah. <laughs> whoop, whoop. That's so that's a train whistle, right? Yeah. Is that what a tornado sounds like? No. Or, <laughs> or does a tornado sound like this? Yeah. But like why that. do they say train rather than like truck? Or, or it sounds like a large is, moving thing. I haven't, I've not heard this before. This apparently is what a tornado sounds like. Put it up to the phone. It's like a moaning sound kind of. Here, here it comes. Wait, turn it up, Tim. It's as up as it goes. Chugga 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 chugga. Chug. That's the, that's on the tornado. That's beep, right on the beep. weather app. Chugga 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 chugga. Beep beep. People have turned it off. Where's the food? <laughs> that's the food question. Our main man Oliver Kilborg sent in an email. He asked a football question about Irvine's future. We didn't get to. We can talk, get to it some other time. But he says uh, convenience stores, uh, UDF Seven Eleven sheets or Wawa. My answer is Wawa. So you guys can talk about the other uh, inferior. UDF has good ice cream. And they have good sales on ice cream. They don't have anything else. Um, Sheets and Wawa you can eat dinner at. I don't yeah. think you can eat dinner at UDF. And 7-Eleven, I was looking this up. I don't think there's a 7-Eleven in the Columbus area anymore. Because there used to be one right at campus and they shut it down. So we've been talking about the – Austin Mack and Dwayne Haskins have been talking about their connection as the 7-Eleven connection. Between, because Haskins is 7 and Mack is 11. And they live together and they're the quarterback and the receiver. There is not a 7-Eleven in Central Ohio. Now, there's still some in Northeast Ohio, but I do think 7-Eleven's slushies, Slurpees, are better. I think often the consistency of their Slurpees is very good. And I think as much as flavor matters in a slushy slash Slurpee slash kind of thing like that, the consistency matters the most. Sometimes you go in there, it's not frozen enough. It's just like drinking juice. 
Sometimes it's too much. Sometimes you end up drinking it. You drink all the flavor out, and you're left with, the, left with like a cup full of ice. Not good. I think the slurpy consistency and the way the flavor mixes with the ice is very good. So I would actually put UDF, which is a mile from my house, UDF fourth on that list because to me it's basically all about ice cream, and, and I don't know what else they have there. I don't like 7-Eleven. Just the... Uh... I think they're generally kind of dirty. I think that is unfair. To who? To 7-Eleven. Clean your stores. Tim? I have zero convenience store takes largely because I don't go to convenience what, stores. Where do you go? When you some, when you, when you want to buy some convenience, where do you go? Oh, I mean, are you talking like on a road trip or something? So say you're driving. Yeah. And you want to get a snack. Stop at a restaurant and grab something. Fast what? food place and grab something. Like a, like a what? God, I mean, I'm a little hungry. Let me well, go to, let me go let, to Applebee's. Well, what about a candy bar, though? What if you want a candy bar? Where do you go? Well, I mean, I, I usually only stop at, like, places on turnpikes. I don't normally go on, like, that many road trips. I mean, maybe it's one a year. Like, for example, like... When, when I, you drove to Toronto. Yes. Where did you stop when you wanted a snack? <sighs> like McDonald's? You well, didn't stop and get a candy bar? We... I'm trying to even, I don't even remember when we stopped on the way to Toronto. We might have like driven straight through the Canadian border and then stopped in Niagara Falls and had food there and then drove straight up to like some village where we went to is like hole in the wall burger place, which had like a motorsports theme, like the, uh, like there were all kinds of like car decor all over the place. Food was very good, but, uh, we didn't really stop. We, when I stop for gas somewhere, I just usually get gas and go. Really? Really? If you're on a trip of longer than four hours and you stop for gas, you have to go in. Yeah. And even just look around. Get a Perrier and a Honeybun. Yes. You don't go in? Never. Don't you have to tinkle? I go only if it's a rest stop, I go to the bathroom and go. But what about but what about you don't go to the bathroom at the at the gas station? You would stop oh. I think it's one of the great American experiences. It makes you feel like an American to stop at a gas station, get gas. Go inside, take a leak, and buy a candy bar. That's America. No wonder you drove to Canada. <laughs> that is America. That is as American as you get. Look around a convenience store, see what they got. Oh, do they have diet root beer? Oh, they do have diet root beer. Oh, I'll get some. Oh, what kind of drinks do they have in the soda fountain? Oh, okay, see what they got. I mean, oh, do they have Zagnut? Sometimes they have... No, they don't have Zagnut. Okay, I'll have to get a call it. I mean, like, driving up to Ann Arbor for the Michigan game, I did stop at, like... I think it was, like, a Flying J or whatever. I went to the bathroom and I just got, like, a bottle of water or, like, a Diet Pepsi and a protein bar. That was Yes! It. So you ex- you have experience. Yes, I, I have experience, experience, but I do not go out of my way to do that. Oh, I go... I, I, if I have a two-mile trip, I might stop at a convenience store along the way just to go in and take a leak and buy a candy bar. Maybe it's, it's just kind of... How I am personally, I mean... And I'm proud to be an American. I don't know. Some people like to go to Canada. Some people like to drive around America. People are just different. Oh. At SLV0316, and this will do it. Will Urban take his damn medicine and stay the hell out of Coach Day's way <laughs> when it comes to running this offense? It end on a, oh man! End on a bright note. That'll get us back to five stars. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe go help his friend Billy coach up all that linebacker talent instead. So that's a little angry. That's a little confrontational. Um, I think people are very curious to see, like, the result of Urban Meyer getting back. And I, I, I don't think it's going to be that much of a difference. 
but I think it's very interesting to see people interested in it. Like, does it make sense that people are just sort of curious? For sure. I think so. Um, like, he's going to be involved in the offensive play calling. Like, he's just like, okay, guys, I was pretty good. You got it now. Yeah. I'm going I'm to change my, the way I've done things for the last 15 years because you hung 77 on Oregon State. Like, that's not going to happen. Um, but I don't, I don't know. If it, runs, if it ran that smoothly without him, and, and Ryan Day said it ran very smoothly, perhaps there's more autonomy for, those, for Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day, but like, Urban Meyer still has the veto power, and Urban Meyer's still in the conversation. I don't think it's going to slow him down, but he's still part of the conversation. If you don't go in convenience stores, when do you buy Snapple? That's the only time you can buy Snapple is in a convenience store. Yep. Right? It's a fact. And you know what else is good in a convenience store? Smart food. What's that? Smart food, popcorn. The cheesy popcorn. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, really yeah. good stuff. It's like one little bag is like maybe 30, 40 calories. Yeah. But, but do you – I'm telling you. I, here's what I'm going to suggest. Again, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. I'm just here to observe your life and tell you that you're doing it wrong. But I'm not telling you what to do. When you leave my house, you're going to drive past 20 convenience stores between my house and your house. I'm just going to ask you to stop. Go in. Go to the bathroom, buy a beverage, buy a snack, and ask yourself, how lucky am I to live in America? Well, three hours from now, I'm going to be eating dinner on the way to interviews, so... So this is a great time for a snack. <laughs> All right. Thanks to you guys for listening to Buckeye Talk. Read us on cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop the reviews. Listen, we got to get back to five stars. You need to stack up a lot of five stars. Is that the podcast that get us back to five stars? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like it kind of fell apart a little bit there at the end. Yeah. We should ask the people, okay, we could go back. We should, like, an hour into it, we should ask people to leave a review. Yeah. Don't listen all the way to the end and leave a review. Um, we got to stack up some five stars to make up for those one stars. Those one stars kill you. They just kill you. Yep. Can't coach them. Can't coach them. At Tim Bielek, at Bill Landis 25, at Doug Lee Maurice. Uh, Rutgers, someone had a Rutgers question. Does anyone know anything about Rutgers? The they quarterback's have a, a freshman. And he was uh, the backup quarterback. He was the co-starter at IMG with now Minnesota starting quarterback. Does they, that inspire confidence in either Rutgers or Minnesota? I mean, IMG's good. I guess that's good. Congratulations to them. Well, I think the Minnesota quarterback played much better than the Rutgers quarterback. Okay. So what's the line? 40? 44? You, you the line. It opened at 33. I am looking to Hit see it. how it is updated uh, since then, and it is now 34 and a half. So what, was the, what did Rutgers do last week? They beat, beat Te- Texas State. And Texas State is bad? Yes. It's not great, yeah. What was that score? It was like 35 to 7 in favor of Rutgers. Yeah. Poor Everett Withers. Hit it. We're, we're going to do our picks video later in the week. I would hit this hard. If this is anything under 40, I think this is a... It's supposed to rain a lot. Oh, yeah. And, and we're not meteorologists. All right. But this also, was too long. But also, Rutgers has not scored against Ohio State in the Chris Ash era. Now, that's a stat. All right. Has Rutgers scored against the, uh, the four good teams in the Big Ten East in the Chris Ash era? Yeah, really. There was that stat. That they, they got shut out by ago. a ball four from two years ago. It was like 226 yeah. to zero or something. Um, he's Bill. He's Tim. I'm Doug. Thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, again, don't forget the post-game podcast. We'll be doing those all year. Um, but for now... That's our usual Wednesday thingamajig. And that was Buckeye Talk.